my friend says caffeine's a drug. I said, oh, tell your friend, fuck you. I want to be a buddy with Just a little breakfast. And welcome to Breakfast Punks, a podcast about weird shit, DIY punk and trashy movies brought to you by Shamsy Roasters and Deadbeat Donuts. From Hastings, I'm Siobhan. And I'm Dave. And welcome to episode 39, in which we're going to be talking about a whole lot of magic. A whole lot of magic. And reviewing a decidedly unmagical film called The Ginger Dead Man vs. Evil Bong from 2013. <laughs> We'll start with this song. This song is from Nexo and the song is Demise. They're from Copenhagen and this song is from their album False Flag, which has just come out in the UK, released by TNS Records. So this is Nexo with Demise. Disaster. Why? As British people cannot take the world's first sex robot seriously because the saucy doll has been given a Glasgow accent. Oh. <laughs> the and I'm putting this very much in inverted commas. Ultra realistic doll oh. has spot. I mean, it is ultra realistic, but it's fucking creepy as hell. But anyway, has sparked bafflement after a clip has been shown of Harmony 2.1 sex robot, which has been made by Realbotics has revealed that she's speaking not only with a Glaswegian accent, but apparently with the precise accent that is used in the Glaswegian train station. (laughs) Um, What? CEO of Realbotics, Matt McMullen, who looks like a Chris Morris character. Oh. Uh, I mean, he's kind of a normal-looking fellow, don't get me wrong, but (laughs) there's just a picture of him with his arm around one of these sex robots. 
you really must, if you're listening, just to get the full extent of this story, uh, Google immediately the Harmony 2.1 sex robot. I'm sure Google won't then send you loads of weird shit. Oh, I'm sure not. Um, (laughs) But if you can get one with Realbotic CEO Mac McMullen... Uh, you will find that he does look like a massive pervert. Who would have made, <laughs> Who a, would have made a sex toy. robot. But uh, they're about to hit the market, and apparently an app can be connected to the sex robot, which allows people to have a conversation with it. And then the robot comes to life and says, Glad you came. <laughs> yeah, <better. laughs> No, I didn't say that right. Glad you came back so fast, baby. I'm glad you came back that fast. That Is turned that into something else. No, I I, somewhere in wrong. the like, Lancashire. Wow, yeah. baby. <laughs> Oh Ten God. minutes without you seems like an eternity. That was better. <laughs> that was, yeah, I've that come was through. something. That was something. Oh my God! So there is a picture of apologies, these... everyone. Everywhere. <laughs> there is a picture of these sex robots, and they are exactly, I suppose, exactly what you would expect. I mean, don't get me wrong; they do look quite realistic. Yeah, I suppose. But I mean, that you, yeah, they're. Oh my God! I mean, I don't even know what to say. Well, I don't. Again, we about, don't want to kink shame. No, no, I don't know. Yeah, no, fuck it. No, don't you are. fuck robots. Okay, that's taken. Robot. That's taken the world that we live in too far. It's got I think. strange. I'm not 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 kink shaming, but I am life shaming. I am life shaming. <laughs> Maybe if you're oh, fucking God. a robot, maybe not a flashlight, particularly one with that uh, monster's mouth on it yeah. from the last episode. But these things are fucking weird. The one thing that I will say about them, and again, I hope that you're all looking at them, is that they're (laughs) so obviously, and I suppose it goes without saying because they're fucking robots, they're so obviously soulless. Like the look, you know, they've kind of done a good job of, you know, the hair is probably a real wig and the boobs look like boobs and the... You know, the, they're all standing in a position that allows you to get in between their legs quite comfortably, <laughs> which I think, I presume, is they have to, because otherwise, I don't know, you'd have to snap a are leg they, off, I, I suppose. mean, if they're robotic, they move, or is it... Oh, they move and they talk, and I, th- I don't know how much they move. I don't really know. It doesn't say anything about this. I should say I've got most of my stories this episode from the Daily Star website. <laughs> it turns out they've got loads of weird shit on there. Um, What's the there is a video... I mean, oh, I've done. I oh. think I've, done, I've probably done an excellent. Not a pornographic video. No, not someone fucking it, but yeah. uh, someone talking to it. Oh, okay. Which I think shows off. Actually, my Scottish accent may not have done it justice. Okay. I would like to see humans working side by side with robots, where robots like me would perform tasks that could allow people to spend more time doing what they like and with the ones they love. I mean, it is a Scottish Aww. accent, but I would say, uh, you know, I don't know, it's not unattractive necessarily. <laughs> I was definitely like expecting like Rapsy Nesbitt. Yeah. So maybe this story is uh, is a bit of a non-story. Oh. Some have argued that the accent sounded a little bit more like Dundee than Glasgow. Oh well. Uh, that, that's on the Twitterverse. Twitter, the Twitterverse is uh, picking picking at hairs. No I more. do think it's. Oh, why would you pick a Scottish accent? Because I presume this is mostly going to be marketed in countries other than Britain. Ooh. Is that? I don't Do know reckon? if that's presumptuous. I think a sex robot is going to get. God, I don't know. Is this a racist thing to say? Like, I think it's going to take off in America before it takes off in Europe. Maybe, maybe. And I mean, yeah. There's more solitary parts of the world that might be thinking with money that maybe want robots. Yeah, and probably like, like Saudi bankers. Arabia. Yeah, I feel like rich, rich people that don't want to speak to people. But what would I mean? I is there a, is there somebody sexy around at the moment that's got a quite harsh Glaswegian accent that they're because they're, they've made this decision but I feel like when I saw telly in like I don't know when I was a teenager there was a lot of like 
northern people that were TV presenters, and I think well, your regular it. people. Well, Michaela re- Strachan didn't have a uh, northern well, she, accent. She Actually, I've, I've absolutely no idea. You didn't. You weren't listening to her voice. Gosh. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of sexy ladies and sexy men in Scotland. Yeah. I'm not suggesting that a Scottish accent is not sexy or, or is sexy, but yeah. it's just a, it's a. I feel like I'm surprised it's not an American accent. I suppose. Yeah. That would be the obvious one. I wonder if there's like a study that's been done at some point of like the sexiest accents. And I wonder if by some chance, maybe this is where it's come from. Again, I'm not saying this from my own perspective, but I don't think that the world considers the Scottish accent to be a particularly sexy accent. And (laughs) I'm not, again, there are a lot of very sexy (laughs) Scottish people, but I just don't think that that's the one that people go for. Really, Maybe not, maybe not. But maybe we know nothing. Maybe we don't. Maybe maybe the rest of the world thinks that just that woman that speaks in the Glasgow train station is just... Yeah. People just go there and they're like, oh gosh. <laughs> Your train's coming in. I'm going to fuck you. That's not what... They, oh, my <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. From that, I don't know how you link anything to that story. Doctors are baffled after finding 233 coins, batteries and screws in a man's stomach. Oh, not another one of these Yeah, another one of these. Doctors were left baffled. They found hundreds of coins, nails, batteries and shards of glass inside a man's stomach. Burhan Demir from somewhere in Turkey. I really can't pronounce that word. I'm going to I'm going to try. Epiculu? Yeah, sounds right. Took his younger brother to hospital after he complained about abdominal pain. This is where I start thinking big brother, little brother, and I'm worried. I'm worried that this. But when I say big brother, little brother, the younger brother is 35. The doctors performed an endoscopy and were amazed to find 233 items in the 35 year old's stomach. They included coins, batteries, magnets, nails, pieces of glass, stones, and screws. They removed the items from the patient, named only as Zed. Because mm-hmm. I guess, you know, please you don't tell really the world that, that I've yeah, done this. Yeah. Um, they said two of the nails had passed through the stomach wall. There was two metal pieces and two stones in the large intestines. We cleaned his stomach out completely. And there's a, like a, it looks like an archaeological dig of the table with it all laid out. And some of these nails are like inches long. Like really fucking I mean, long. without being too dark or turning this... Hilarious news story, dark. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this sounds like someone's trying to kill themselves by shoving... I mean, it's an unusual way to kill yourself, but it's... if you're shoving nails up your arse, you're... I don't know, that's more well, than... That's not a... a kink. Yeah, no, is this it? is... This is you've swallowed them, because they're in the stomach. Oh, he's eating them. Yeah, they're in the uh, stomach. I, because, well, I've been on this podcast... Been on this podcast too long. <laughs> We've been doing this podcast too <laughs> long. I just immediately presume that all of these things went up the bottom. Ooh. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, okay, so he's eating nails. They said it's not a situation we see in adults. It's usually in childhood and unconsciously swallowed foreign bodies. Now, I don't think someone unconsciously swallowed 233 things. No, you might swallow a bit of glass by accident or get really drunk and tell your mates you're going to swallow a nail. Yeah, exactly. I think I might know people that have done that. (laughs) (laughs) And it's probably still in their bodies. Exactly. (laughs) Christ. They said, um, and this is where I'm like... It's told as, like, this hilarious whatever, but I don't think the brother should have named himself because I kind of feel like <laughs> you should have probably noticed something was happening. They also, said it, by it the c- way, there's no point in calling the brother Zed if the other brother has named himself because it's quite easy to find out who Zed is. Exactly. It's just that dude's brother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they said it can be seen in psychiatric patients, prisoners or abuse cases in this adult age group. 
which of course I've definitely seen people swallow some very unusual things oh, on psychiatric god yeah, yeah all the time like <laughs> actually every week where I work it's ridiculous but yeah so the the brother said he was referred to this hospital and they've removed everything out of interest did they remove these items from the bottom or from the mouth I think they, they did uh, I think they cut in, yeah I think they it, but someone's dropped the ball there why is this boy swallowed 230 something Oh, I suppose, but they're all small things, so you could do it in secret. Maybe he's just got a little funny way about yeah, it. Yeah, but an awful lot of things. I don't know how you could hold this much stuff inside you. There's just so much stuff. The serial killer Albert Fish yeah. used to bang That's nails awesome. into his ball bag. Oh. And when he was arrested, oh. there's a, quite a famous picture of his ball bag being x-rayed. All right. And there's just millions of fucking nails in oh there. Oh, my God. He left them in there. Yeah, you couldn't. I think they, and they, this was in like Victoria. No, like the oh. early 1900s. I mean, they were rust. They would. Well, I don't know if that things didn't rust more then. I suppose. <laughs> but they, they were Victoria, you know, so they were rusty. Yeah, they were no, rusty. it's because they were old. They were at least a hundred years old. Thank God they are, aren't they? Already. <laughs> All right, but, that was silly. I'm gonna obviously. I don't have testicles, so I'm gonna assume it's painful. But I'm assuming... I mean, he liked the pain. That was the point. Wow, it was a kink. Is it, is it like excruciating pain? I've never banged a nail into my own ball bag, Siobhan. If you get kicked in the balls, where is that pain? Is it in your testicle or is it like a bit further up? No, it's an unusual pain. Getting kicked in the balls is an unusual pain. It's like a funny bone, horror, It's more in the stomach. It's been everywhere. It's sort of like your entire, that entire section. But like, I can't imagine the nerve endings in the testicles themselves. I think some of them did go into the actual testicles, but I think mostly he just stored them in his ball bag. And, he, oh, and, and other places bit, as well, the, I think, the like, bit. yeah, the flappy bit, yeah. <laughs> the looser bit. <laughs> There's a peep behind the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, I hope this man, I'm glad this man got all of his little shards of glass out of his yeah. stomach and uh, yeah, I hope sorry. he doesn't keep swallowing them. Yeah, as I read it, I thought, oh gosh, this poor man. Please don't, if you're listening at home, don't swallow things that are weird. But if you do, again... When you go to the hospital, just tell them. Yeah. They're going to find out. Yeah. If you've shoved something up your butt or you've eaten something weird, tell yeah. them. Just say, oh, I've got this pain. I don't know why. I sat on a jam jar last week. Whoops. I did... bet when Albert Fish went in, he was like, I've got loads of nails in my ball yeah, bag. Wait, <laughs> I bet he didn't fucking until... mess around. Yeah. He was like, doctor, doctor, come here. Look yeah. at this ball bag. <laughs> don't put me in the MRI machine. <laughs> you don't need to. I'm telling you, there's loads of rusty nails from, <laughs> from Victorian times up there. <laughs> Well, I'm sticking with the Daily Star on oh, the next that, one. Oh, joy. So expect something classy. This one really doesn't work on the radio, but I'm going to tell you because it's fucking blown my mind. A lad has a giant ET thumb that he can <laughs> extend to 5.5 inches. What? And I am not kidding. I would, we'll try and share a picture of this, but again, please Google it immediately. A boy who's been dubbed a werewolf I'm not really sure why. Right. Has no. shown a video on the internet of him extending his thumb to 5.5 inches long. Jacob Pina from Westport in. <laughs> Jacob Pina from Westport in Massachusetts has gone viral. He's got a magical thumb. He made a joke and he said, you can break and regrow it on command, which is not a funny joke and is obviously not true. But anyway, the thumb is. Fucking unbelievable. That's that it's huge. Get I'm a ruler out. Now, yeah. Get a ruler out, everybody, now at home. Right. Look at how far five point five inches is. How how big do you think my thumb is? I reckon that's two and a half inches, maybe three at a push. It's maybe two. 
Maybe two? Yeah. Oh, I'm kind. <laughs> There's a peek behind the curtain. <laughs> you wait till we get to my next story. It's so linked. Um, fuck. Yes. So it's twice the size of my thumb, probably a bit more. It is unbelievable. Do you want to. Do you know on YouTube when they do those reaction videos? Yeah. I think you should experience a reaction podcast as Siobhan actually sees a picture of this thumb. All right. There might be a bit of noise now. Come round right, and have okay. a look at this I'm picture. Come look at it. I'm very scared of what this looks like. Ah! <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> ah! No. Yeah. What the fuck? It's a very strange thumb. It's. <laughs> ah! I mean, I don't know. Did ET have long fingers? What the fuck? Yeah, he does. He, go, I think he's got quite long fingers, but that's fucking because it's the same width as a normal thumb. But yeah, it's, it's just, very it's like skinny. A magic wand. It's skinny and long. There's a peep behind the curtain. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's fucked up. Yeah. Where are his knuckles? Oh my god! He's got. It looks from the picture like he's got two knuckles, but he doesn't. I don't think. Well, he's, got for some two reason, knuckles. he's. Sorry, three knuckles, oh, an okay. extra knuckle. Yeah. That's what it looks like, but I don't think that is actually what's going on. For some reason, he's running it under a tap in this picture. I don't know, I don't know if that makes it longer or not. Maybe he's warming it up. Do you think it's... There's it's a not, pee on the couch. Uh, <laughs> right, I've got... Uh, I'm going to dare to say something now. Go on. Is there a video of him using it? Because that looks photoshopped. What? Uh, it looks like just a stretched thumb. It it's does. Crazy. It's on TikTok. I don't think you can Photoshop something on TikTok. I mean, there's other pictures, there's photos, there's more than one TikTok video. Oh my God, video. it's real, isn't it? I think it must be real. Fucking hell. I mean, I don't know how you live your life. With a thumb that big. I just don't know how you would exist with this thumb. I feel it must like be it's flapping evolu- around. <laughs> well, it's evolution gone a bit crazy, isn't it? Because, like, the fact that we have opposable thumbs makes us, like quite good in evolution <laughs> I don't know how to better say that I probably should have thought of that you I know. don't often think that when I walk around and meet other humans but yeah no. I, I understand what you're but saying you know what I mean they gave us the ability to grip things yeah, yeah. animals that don't have thumbs haven't kind of come as far I mean there's other reasons I don't sure. think we're all going to evolve to have one no, really long no but he's gone thumb. wrong surely people like him maybe he can't grab things well Jacob's, a, Jacob's a bit of fun he says I've never lost a thumb or Oh, God, I hate him. I hate him I've so never much. been without a ride. And it's a great oh. conversation, Stelza. I bet he's got no friends. <laughs> yeah, like, hilar- got... hilariously and from actually what... have any conversation. And I think he's joked with doctors about how big his penis is as well as a result of the size oh, of his thumb. Oh, God. Oh, he's a lot of fun. He's a lot of fun. Well, scientists warn men's penises are shrinking and it could have a big effect on mankind's survival. <laughs> Mankind survival, I imagine, has to. Uh, this is a lad Bible story, so I'm oh, just Jesus just Christ, from Daily Star to <laughs> Lad Bible, what have we become on the I Breakfast Pub podcast? An award winning scientist has made the shocking revelation that could shake humanity to its core. Penises are indeed shrinking. <laughs> Dr. Shana Swan has. Uh, she's one of the leading reproductive epidemiologists. I'm going to go with that. Mm, penis doctor. Uh, penis doctor. She indicates that men are suffering from high rates of erectile dysfunction and babies are being born with smaller penises. <laughs> Who measures a baby's penis? I think they do that. Oh. But there you go. In her research, in her book called Countdown, she believes microplastics and pollutants are seeing babies unable to develop properly, calling an overall feminization of society. Uh, penis... Is that a bad thing? Isn't that what everyone wants? Well, <laughs> I guess what she's saying is... Smaller penises 
and sperm counts are dropping. So basically, but that's brilliant. We need less humans, yeah, human and we need a, a, and we need a femalization of the species. True. This is not this bad is, news, is I think it? This is doing all right. I mean, some of this is pretty awful. Babies are now entering the womb already contaminated with chemicals because of the substances they absorb in the womb. Where are the substances coming from? Uh, Food from things. plastics and packaging. Oh, yeah. And uh, she reckons all of this impacts on how certain hormones are produced. And that is why penises are coming up small. She's going as far as claiming humans are an endangered species. I mean, we're Good. fucking not, and I wish. <laughs> she says that there are five factors that see a species defined as endangered. And she reckons that we meet... Three. Doesn't go as far as to say what those three are. I like this. I like when doctors just go, yeah, I've said something. That's true. Three out of five says we're going to die. There you go. (laughs) Well, in more penis-related news, there has been a recent study conducted by the online pharmacy From Mars, which used Google data, fuck knows what Google data, from 86 countries to determine which country has the smallest and the largest penis size. What Google data? That is very concerning. Where the fuck is Google getting information on how big your penis is? Well, because either it's asking people, and in which case clearly it's flawed, because yeah. no one's going to tell the truth. Or is it looking in people's phones and getting dick pics out of them? And I But even no then, idea. unless they're holding this boy's massive thumb next to it, how are you going to tell from the picture? I have no idea. Like, what? What is this study and how has it worked? Because you know when Google like works out like where you are based on your phone being on, or I don't know whether you type in you know your date of birth when you're signing up to buy in some clothes online or something. Is there a website that's going? By the way, how big's your dong? Or are they? I don't are they? Think so. What is going on? And what would you need to get measured for? Like when you buy pants, people don't say. How long is your dong? How long is your dong? <laughs> How long is your How dong? How long is your dong? It's not like bra sizing or something. You just yeah. buy a pair of pants. So it feels like it must be a flawed study, unless I'm really missing something that Google does that is going to give away the size. Is it because people have Googled, is a, insert number here, size penis <laughs> big or small or normal? I have no I bet idea. a lot of people have Googled the size of their penis to say, is this normal? Is it- <laughs> Maybe. I've been watching too much online porn, and now I think that my penis is very small. <laughs> is the, is my penis very small? Is my penis small? Or maybe it's from like I don't know. Maybe they've like gone onto porn websites and been like, "Where do you reckon that person's from?" <laughs> and I guessed it that way. I don't know. It's really awful. I'm not going to penis shame countries anyway. But uh... who's got the biggest and who's got the smallest? Oh, that's going to end up being racist, isn't it? I feel like it is going to be racist. Because as well, know. there must be presumption in this. Because if you go from Google as well, it's probably like bad jokes, and you know, it's probably people yeah. saying, "Oh, that person's obviously got a big penis because you yeah. know they're, where they're from, from where they're from." Or... I know, and I, and that's it. I don't like. I feel like I'm at a weird point now where I'm like, "Do I read out this list or not?" I feel strange about it. I'll just give you who was number one. Who was number one? Ecuador. Oh, okay. I wouldn't have picked Ecuador. I don't really know where Ecuador is. It's in South America. Isn't it like the one that's on the? Um, it's a country that's on the hottest bit of the world. That, um, oh, maybe, that line that goes maybe the Maybe that's country. what it is. Then maybe, maybe that's why this boy climate. with his long thumb is running it under a hot tap. <laughs> Literally to growing make it in the heat. Maybe smallest. I don't know. It feels a bit. It feels a bit mean. I don't know. I feel very mean about this all of a sudden. Is it, unless it's the problem is unless it's basically England. Then it's going to end up being racist, isn't it? <laughs> I feel like it is. Go on. Oh, I don't know. Cambodia. We love you, Cambodia. Oh, okay. Right. Well, again, I, don't, where do, I mean, it's 
Strange. Very warm there. All right. Where does Britain uh, fall? Not in the top ten. I will tell you that now. Uh, There is one European country in the top ten. Netherlands, good old boys. Do you know what? I'm not even going to lie. You're joking. No, so I was going to say, I imagine Dutch people and German people have the biggest penises in Europe. (laughs) I was going to say that and I thought that's going to be racist. Probably is. Probably is. is. I've said it now. You've said it now. They also have this like erect length. Uh, in centimetres and inches and then percentage of height oh so what your penis is a percentage of height of yourself like yeah they kind of like measured it that way as well I don't know this is very strange how any of this is known to Google is quite alarming again I don't think it is and so therefore I think this study is probably extremely flawed it does sound it doesn't it speaking of flawed studies no way you still on the daily star no i've okay. gone to wales online oh good which it turns out i think i've used wales online before a I couple think of I times have. i think it might be vaguely similar to the daily mail oh dear <laughs> okay okay bottle fed babies more likely to develop rubber fetish says feminist <laughs> oh dear she also claims pregnant women who are given anaesthetics or who have cesarean sections are increasing their children's chances of becoming lifelong drug addicts what the fuck it does sound what? a little bit like this person's a lunatic they're a very well-known feminist who's written like lots of antonella gambotto burke okay who has apparently been played in a film by amber heard um oh she's and she's not yeah oh dear Sorry. what what oh you don't watch the news neither do i I'm Good, okay, that's it. <laughs> there's a peek behind the curve. <laughs> Let's just leave it there. Yeah, everyone's awful okay, in cool. the world. Good, Karen. Good. No. Well, she says that babies draw comfort and gratification from the smell, taste and feel of the synthetic teats that they sucked on as infants, and therefore they become rubber fetishists. Right. I would argue, A, so fucking what? Yeah. If you want to be a rubber fetishist. Yeah. Good on you, you're having a much better time than fucking... Antonella Gambato Burke. She might be. She does say that she was fed through a bottle as a baby and so therefore she does like the feel of rubber. She doesn't claim to be a rubber fetishist. I think she, okay, I think she's trying to excuse herself for something that maybe she has some deep shame about. But it, well no, she's quite upfront about it. But in 2015 she wrote a book called Mama, Love, Motherhood and Revolution and it's seen as one of the seminal feminist works of the 21st century. Okay. I have not heard it, no. heard of it. But there's these new claims come in something called Apple, Sex, Drugs, Motherhood and the Recovery of the Feminine. Mm. She does sound a little bit like a psychopath. She claims to be the first person to ever link any of this before, even though she says it's very obvious. Oh. Uh, oh, <laughs> she's a Mensa like member, much. and she has a genius IQ above 150. Oh, I don't like her very much. I don't want to say that. She said for decades, psychiatrists have tried to explain why some people fetishise rubber and have entirely failed to do so. But the link between bottle-feeding dummies and rubber fetishism, however, is entirely obvious. Babies who suck on smell and fiddle with rubber or synthetic rubber-teated bottles and dummies will quite naturally crave the same sensations in later life. So there's not doesn't appear to have been actually any scientific research. No. It's just apparently obvious. It's just, it's just it's obvious. But I feel like dummies and bottles are used by I don't know. I've not had kids. I don't hang out with any babies. I try my best to avoid it at all costs. But if I was to guess, I would say most, quite a lot of babies. I think it's really usual to have a dummy or a bottle, ba- like a yeah. bottle fed. Yeah. Whereas I would say like fetish, like rubber fetishes, are probably not that common. So I would go as far as to say maybe eighty percent of people have probably been brought up this way. Yeah. But I don't really think that eighty percent of people are going to openly say that they really like rubber. 
Well, so I, don't, I don't think I don't, there is necessarily. I also a don't think that probably eighty percent of people do really like rubber. No, that's and what I don't saying. mean that in a kind of judgmental way. No, like, I don't I think couldn't they do. care less. But I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people that like rubber and don't want to talk about it. But yeah. I'm fairly confident that in this day and age, yeah, when a very tiny percent of humanity has a rubber fetish, yeah. And again, keep in mind that a fetish... There's one thing to be like, oh, I like that person dressed in rubber. That's not having a fetish. Yeah, and that's not necessarily even putting it in your mouth. And you could could say the same that if you find anybody attractive wearing clothes... Therefore, oh, you're a you cotton were, you were clothed fetishist. As, and I yeah. bet you were clothed as a baby. <laughs> exactly. It's just, yeah, I just feel like it's probably likely that most people were fe- fed with some yeah, kind some of rubber point, implement. at some point. Therefore, and, of course, most people that have rubber fetishes were probably fed with something to do with rubber as a kid. But that doesn't... Yeah. The two don't mean the same thing. But And also lots of other implements. I mean, I yeah. think... I mean, like plastic, loads of... Kids, you know, bibs and yeah, and, and forks and spoons—they're all, pla- you know. Yeah. If you think about the oral phase of, sorry, we're getting to psychology now. Ooh. But if you get, you know, think about the oral phase—all the things that you put in your mouth are yeah. made of plastic. So why hasn't everybody got a plastic yeah. fetish fetishization? And also, some rubber fetishists may call themselves that, but they probably do quite like plastic because you know because yeah, yeah, things yeah. are made of plastic yeah. too. It's like it's more complicated than just yeah. These two things are made of the same. Yeah, um, she's saying, "Oh, it's obvious." And I'm like, "No, I think you're just stating an obvious that isn't anything to do with the other thing." Just... But also, what's the fucking problem with it? Yeah, if you've got I, if you've got a rubber fetish, fucking I, that's great. Yeah, that gives you something to enjoy. And I worry, what's that wrong with it? So a woman, like someone saying this, is just going to play into like very like straight people that are like. I mustn't feed my baby with a rubber oh, bottle. Oh, of course, because otherwise, forbid. imagine, it might enjoy oh, sex in it, its later exactly. life. Exactly. <laughs> oh, it'll be just having a gag in its mouth by the age of 20. I mean, she wait, exactly. She can. It manifests in various ways, which includes watching fetishistic pornography. God help us if you do that. Oh, gosh. Evil. Wearing it. Can you oh, imagine? Oh, gosh. Or otherwise, disgusting. using it in sexual BDSM practices. Duh. Oh my god! Imagine don't, enjoying. I mean, don't feed your baby with a bottle. God forbid. I do completely agree that the things that happen to us in our very yeah. early life unquestionably have a massive impact on us in ways that we can't even possibly imagine. Yeah. And one of my biggest problems with this is that this person is so specifically imagining what they are. Yeah. We do, We know it's very basic Freudian psychology that. Very, like the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest little things that happen to us in the first two years or three years of our lives have massive impacts on us as we go through. And you can definitely chart those things, but you can't say absolutely 100% this happened to you and therefore this. Yeah, exactly. Because that's not how humans are. It's not how humanity is. Yeah. And the other problem that you have is if you start going, oh, that's what does this, so I'll deny that. You're going to fuck up your child in another way somehow. Oh, we all, like, all parents do is fuck their children exactly. up. I mean, it's just how you fuck them up. Exactly. <laughs> Working on a ward has literally made me never, ever, 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 ever want to have children. Well, maybe if you were a Mensa member and you had a genius IQ above 150, you would have a different opinion. I bet she's not got children. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I'm saying all this, but I know better. Baron. She's Baron. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, this is my favourite story of the week. Elephant trampled woman to death, then, sh- oh dear. <laughs> then showed up at her funeral to have another go at her. <laughs> I know this is awful, 
But as I read this story to myself, I just... It's not funny. It's not funny. But fuck me, this made me laugh, and it shouldn't, and this is just bad. Keep um, in mind the human race is dying out. So one, yeah, one person getting trampled under an elephant is very sad. It's just... It's, just, <laughs> it's, it's so dark, because it must have been absolutely traumatic for everyone around, but it reads too well. A woman has been attacked twice by an enraged elephant, once while she was alive and another again at her funeral. <laughs> According to the Times of India, 68-year-old Maya Mumu was fetching water when she was attacked by a furious elephant in a district in Odisha last week. The pissed off... They've just... Because they can, they've named the elephant a, a pachyderm? Okay. I've never heard of that word. I was part of a larger herd that strayed from a sanctuary nearby. And when Mermu attempted to flee, one of the elephants charged and trampled her. Taken to hospital and she died from her injuries. Okay, that's really sad. And, uh, and it I didn't sound sad when you started cracking well, no, up laughing halfway through saying I appreciate saying the rest of this story is really sad, but I just... It just makes me laugh and it shouldn't make me laugh. So she was taken to hospital and she died from her injuries. In the evening, when her body had been returned to her family, her loved ones began performing her last rites. But unfortunately for them, the furious elephant wasn't done. The living creature seized the opportunity to have another go at her. (laughs) According to the print, which is the newspaper that uh, reported it, the angry animal stormed the funeral, took the corpse from the pyre and trampled her dead body through it and fled. (laughs) Oh my God. Fuck my life. That is just, I know it's awful and I really shouldn't laugh. Basically, the family kept the body outside the house for the funeral, and this is when the animal came again. Apparently, the enraged tusker waited near the mangled corpse for over an hour before it began to roar. Other members of the elephant herds answered the call, and they started attacking the village and destroyed her house. Oh it's so God. fucked up. It's so <laughs> fucked up. I'm so sorry for finding this funny. This is really awful. Uh, eventually, they were able to do the funeral and her final rites when they made sure the, uh, the elephants had left. And and the elephants are gone. They're rogue elephants. They're just running around India now, by the way. Surely the elephant didn't target, didn't kill someone and then get their scent and then come back what presumably was a few days at least later. I mean, I don't know how they could know, but they reckon that it was the same <laughs> elephant. Trampled Death shows up at funeral to have another go at her. So bad. <laughs> so, so, so bad. Sorry. Well, speaking of dark humour, but mm-hmm. on a slightly more serious note. Okay. Uh, Guar. Yay! Greatest band in the world? No, not quite. But one of the greatest bands in the world. Um, A documentary about Guar is going to be coming out on the channel Shudder this summer. Yay! Uh, It's called This Is Guar. And this film has been being made for, I think, possibly ten years. Is it pre-Dave Brocky dying? So I think that he he will be in the film because I'm fairly sure that it was pre-him dying. I think. And And I'm pretty sure that they completed about half of it. It's been sort of talked about for a really long time there's an amazing book about guar called let there be guar beautiful uh which is one of the most beautiful books you'll ever see it's a massive like coffee table book it's an incredibly interesting story they're much more interesting than you would think for those who don't know guar were very big i would say in the sort of 90s but have maintained and are still going to this day i'm going to see them in brighton in a few months Mm -hmm. cannot wait and um they dress up like monsters they came sort of out of the punk scene in Richmond. They're a very unusual bunch, but they're kind of a mixture of artists and punks and just general deadbeats. Yeah. Lots of them have died at this point from heroin, so they lead they lead various various interesting lives. Yeah. But they all moved into this massive 
kind of building, which I think was previously like a milk factory or something. Oh, wow. And they took it over. And from what I can make out, they're still there. And they just built these insane props and went on tour. And they made music, but it was music was a big part of it because the music's great. But also they put on these incredible stage shows. They made movies. Yeah. They did just so much cool shit. It's like ridiculously conceptual, isn't it? They're yeah. like these aliens from outer space that yeah. have come to... Fuck up humans. I love it. And it's hilarious and affecting and just perfect. There will never be anything like it, ever. There just could not be another Guar. And nor could there have been at the time. I mean, they're just one of those things that just exists as this entity which is completely separate to everything else. Yeah. There's other knobs that dress up in stupid outfits and sing heavy metal, but there is not... Just, there's no comparison. Guar is just whatsoever. Such a Guar thing. is fucking Guar. I mean, we might do a we, episode well, on them at some point. I would say we'd, so we've been talking about doing an episode on them for a while... And I've sort of half been waiting for this documentary to come out, but I didn't actually think it was ever going to come out. No. Because, like I say, they half finished it years and years and years ago, and then it's kind of been mentioned here and there, and it's sort of been on the rumour mill. But now it's coming out on July the 21st. Nice! So, yeah, heads up, we will definitely do a Guar episode probably around about then. And just to say, it's a documentary, not one of their weird films. No. But (laughs) if you ever get a... We'll talk about this when we do the episode. But uh, if you ever get a chance, which you have all the chance in the world, because they're all freely available online... To watch any Guar film. One of them's got Jello Biafra in it. Oh. They're fucking brilliant. They're mad as fuck. Really low budget. They're not an easy watch, but they're worth it. Watch their music videos, listen to their albums. Oh my gosh. I should also say, let's just throw it out there. So Dave Brocky, their singer, died quite a while ago. And their original bass player uh, sort of took his place and started singing for them. But the original bass player, of course, used to be in Capone, which are one of the greatest bands of all time. Well, there you go. He also he started in Guar, then he started Capone. No, then I think he became some sort of musical lecturer. Anyway, yeah, we, we saw we watched a TED Talk of his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike Bishop. He's a wonderful, wonderful man who makes beautiful music. Beautiful man. One of my favourite people in the world. Oh, no, I say that, I've never met him. I mean, as in one of my favourite artists in the world. Uh, but we went to Guar when we were in LA. Oh, my God. And got completely covered in smoke. It was amazing. Because they, they fire absolute crap at you in the in the audience and the idea is that i didn't really know but you were like we have to go wearing white the point is that you go and then you leave as a badge of honor covered in gunk and um we were about i don't know like 10 15 from the front and i thought oh gosh we're not really close enough to get this it's gonna be very embarrassing when we leave with just a smush on our shoulder and within the first song we were waterboarded i was like fucking hell waterboarded with green and red goo Mm -hmm. um and yeah it was absolutely fucking insane Mm -hmm. soaking wet covered in crap amazing so good oh my god so good the best thing i've ever seen and they just looked amazing were amazing they do like sacrifices on stage with pretend politicians i mean they just so, yeah just... they've done they've done like, over the years it's always specific to the time frame so yeah. you know they did a lot with george bush where they'd kill george bush on stage they did, in the toilet. i think jerry springer at one point got fed to something because they'd been on jerry springer yeah there's loads of hilarious videos i always i'm i'm gonna stop bothering with this youtube playlist yeah. i think but i'm tempted to just add all of this stuff there's some amazing videos from the 90s of like guar on daytime tv and it's just some of the funniest shit you'll ever hear. And just hear. talking about their, like, nonsense, like, well, we're aliens and this is my massive penis. And you're just like, 
everyone else in the audience is like, what the fuck? But also being really wise. Yeah. Like, often they got invited onto things which were about kind of like shock rock, like has rock music gone too yeah. far? And they and it would be like Christians having a go at them and yeah. like, you know, like really just the yeah. worst, very conservative people having a go at them. But Dave Brocky particularly, but all of them were just really intelligent people yeah. who were dressed up ridiculously and these people thought we're going to really give them something. Yeah. And then they would just fucking rip them yeah. just by being clever, yeah. you know, and just sort of saying, just just making them look stupid, basically. They were fucking geniuses. Our geniuses. They've got a new album that's just about to come out, which I cannot wait for. Yeah. But the last one, they've just not lost it. They're brilliant. They've that last never, album was so The brilliant. last album's one of the best albums they've ever done. It was brilliant. Listen to Guar. Guar, Guar, Guar. And whilst listening to Guar, get in your car. Oh, and this is going to work and drive to Norfolk. Well, rather unexcitedly in Norfolk and uh, music related, uh, Elton John went to play at Carrow Road and that pretty much took up all of the news for the last two weeks. Is Carrow Road the football stadium? That's the Norwich Stadium. Uh, No, I say stadium. Norwich City (laughs) football ground. They'll call it a stadium. That's the biggest we've got. What I would Did say, Elton John go to the same Weatherspoons that John Travolta went to? Uh, and hang out with Christopher Biggins in the paedophile ring that's underneath. Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> all right, where. you started the, all these conspiracies. I can't, really, I can't remember where it was. No, one, one was in Great Yarmouth and one was in uh, Fakenham. So actually, very worlds apart, David. If, okay. you, if, you, if you knew, you'd knew. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, so unfortunately the news was very taken with uh, Elton John and, and the Killers. And it was very fucking boring to have to look for it all. Did they so, play together? Sorry. Nope, no, separate, separate. Dates. Okay. okay. Uh, what I would say, I'm just going to... Old gripe, if you're from Norfolk, you'll understand this. There was a lovely uh, venue called the Ferry Boat. Mm-hmm. I, I went to Ferry Boat once, I think. You probably played there of your no. old time. Did you not? No, I only played really dodgy pubs. In Norwich. Well, the ferry boat was kind of a bit of a dodge. Oh, then maybe I did, and I just yeah. forgot. <laughs> I used to, the toilets were always flooded. It was very lovely. Oh, maybe I did. <laughs> yeah, that's very nice there. But um, anyway, that got shut down because of uh, noise complaints. New flats got built next to it, mm-hmm. and then the new flats went. Oh, I don't fucking like all that rack coming oh, from the ferry classic. boat. But when Elton John played Cara Road the last time, they're all dancing on their balconies. Class. I'm like, that's not the noise you got a problem with. Yeah. It's the music. It's the type of music. You fucking assholes. Anyway, I was reminded. So is of what that. you're saying that Elton John should have come on and played a death metal set? Well, yeah, that'd, have been fucking <laughs> that'd been fucking great, wouldn't it? That'd have been fucking brilliant. So anyway, I'm just reminded of that that annoyance because Elton John came back and played, and the news was just full of it, and I just thought this is fucking annoying. So I've gone back mm. to 2017. Oh Christ! My news story <laughs> because I was like, I don't fucking know what to do. I'm going to go find a silly news story from the past and a fame one. I've grown loads of cannabis and I don't know what to do with it. Police seized 13 bags of cannabis in Norwich. 13, I mean, it depends how big they are, but 13... massive bags. (laughs) Um, The man is helping the police with inquiries after taking 13 bags to him, to the police. Right. Because uh, he grew them at home and he said, I don't know what to do with all this. I've grown too much cannabis. Um, he, he took them down, he was growing them both up. And the police said, it appears the man had grown the plants himself and he came to the police station. He handed them all over. He said, I grew all this and I really don't know what to do with it. What? I mean, what, why did he grow? Did he not have a plan? Where really did he grow? Know. Was it in his gut? Nick, what's in his it, loft? Honestly, don't tell anything else. <laughs> it's just a, a picture of fucking massive amounts of cannabis. <laughs> and, this, and the unnamed man just said, oh, I'm really sorry. You know, that's gone a bit too far. Don't really know what to do with all this. It reminds me of... And there's nothing more to the story than that, to be honest. But I just love... I just love the Norfolk uh, 
innocence there because I know it too well because my parents did this if they're listening they might be listening at some point they sometimes listen to this I'm sure I'm sure I offend them regularly but I remember I don't don't know whether you should tell this story I reckon they can alright I don't think my parents would get arrested for this no I don't think the police would listen to the breakfast (laughs) podcast can you imagine basically they've got bigger fish to fry anyway I know but (laughs) it's just the Norfolk innocence of it all because it reminds me of my parents when my parents were together living at home in Norwich and I went off to uni and used to come back quite frequently I came back one day and my mum said oh Siobhan we uh do you want to go, go, go look in that cupboard in our bedroom? And they had like a little walk-in um, wardrobe next to their bed. And for a little while, my mum had a sunbed living in there and all sorts. But it's also where they used to hide our crimbo presents. I said crimbo, I never say crimbo. I said that, <laughs> Christmas presents uh, from us as kids. So we could go look in there. And that like, year, oh. did you just get loads of cannabis? <laughs> and I looked in there thinking, oh, what's going to be in there? It's exciting. Open the fucking door. Tin foil lined, <laughs> the whole fucking cupboard had been turned into a little cannabis growing suite. <laughs> a farm. With all the hydroponic equipment. Jesus They Christ. got well into it. They bought all the fucking shit and there's these tiny little <laughs> seedling plants. And I think my mum thought I was going to be well impressed. <laughs> and for some reason, I was just like, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you growing cannabis? You don't even smoke it. Oh, well, you know, me and your dad had tried it and we're thinking... I said, it might be a fun thing to grow. I was like, Jim up the road wants to join. Well, no, they don't even know anyone that's smoking. Like, literally, why the fuck? My parents just get this. They they bought a jet ski once and decided they were jet skiers, and then it threw my dad off onto the on the beach, and so they had to sell it because you know fuck that shit. And then they uh, bought a little paddling pool, swimming pool thing for the garden for a bit. They just get in get into their head. Let's do these stupid things. And uh, yeah, they fucking... says Siobhan whilst making her podcast. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> you know, Apple fall on fire or whatever. <laughs> so I was like, I don't actually think this is all that funny. And also because I was like, Mum, you're totally being swayed by Dad's interest in this. I'm sure. What the fuck are you doing? Don't want to hear about this. <laughs> and I felt like the parent. Anyway, I go back to uni. Come back like two months later. Walk in the front door, and I'm like, what the fuck? This whole house smells of cannabis. What the fuck have you done? And I, and I was like, did you get rid of it? Like, no, we're growing it in the bathroom now because it's taken over. <laughs> it's come out of the water. There's too much in the water. So this is literally what happened to this poor other yeah, man. Yeah, this is it. It's like, this is hilarious. Let's just grow a bit of cannabis. It's taken over the wardrobe in the bedroom. It's now the little, like, plant... You know when you've got little nice aloe veras in your, in your bathroom on your windowsill? They've no, just got, but yeah. They've just got cannabis plants We haven't even got bar. a window in our bathroom. Well, they've got cannabis plants on their windowsill. <laughs> I was like, this is not all right. And they're flowering, so the house stinks. You're literally giving the police everything they need here. This was like 15 years I ago. Hope that, I don't know what the statute of limitations is, though. <laughs> Maybe we should check. I'll cut that out if it's... <laughs> oh, no, that'd be all right. Well, anyway, I then came home and I was like, what did you do? And they, they gave it all gave to it my to brother. The po- oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? You're not meant... I was like, if he's selling it, they went, no, 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 he's giving it away. He's giving it away, so no crime. No crime's <laughs> happened. I was like, fucking hell. I think giving cannabis away is a crime. No! I, <laughs> I bet that man with all of his bags of cannabis probably got charged no. for a crime because he turned up at police station with it. I don't know, because he was so helpful and he said, honestly, I don't know what I could do with it. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Have you do. ever met the police? Well, <laughs> anywho, my parents just gave it away and no crime's been committed and they don't live in the house anymore and you'll never find them. <laughs> oh my God. They're on the run. Have I said- <laughs> 
<laughs> or for the cannabis they grew, what, 15 years ago? <laughs> Gave to my brother. They've gone dark. They've gone, da- they gone dark. And they did try and smoke some of it and uh, threw up violently into the bath. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they... story. I know. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. Norfolk cannabis. What can you do? Are you done? I think I am done. <laughs> Let's play a song. Yeah. This song is from a band called The Condos, who are from Adelaide in Australia. It's from their um, second EP, which is called Attachment, and it came out last year. I think it's sold out on all formats, but you can listen to it via their band camp. The song is called Dream Code, so this is The Condos. <laughs>
Hello to all our lovely Breakfast Plums podcast listeners. Did you know that you can now support us via our Patreon? We have a number of different tiers that you can support us on. And if you give £3 or more, then you will get an extra monthly episode of this very podcast in which you may hear such intellectual nuggets as these. What's the picture that you've taken of your penis where it looks at its very best? (laughs) (laughs) Would you get hard? You won the lottery. (laughs) (laughs) What's your controversial opinions? Social media is going to kill us. I quite like Gary (laughs) Glitter. What the fuck? If you could finger one thing, what would you you finger? Oh, you're such a twat. I know. Please do a double fart. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think he accidentally got me in the the nether region. I was like, I don't know about this birthday treat, but it feels a bit weird. (laughs) Daniel Filth is on his first date there. Furiously masturbating to someone's vaginal skin. Maybe I should have stuck with paedophiles. <laughs> <laughs> so sign up now at patreon.com forward slash breakfast punks podcast. Thanks for your money. Cheers. Welcome back to Breakfast Punks podcast. We're going to talk about magic. Oh, um, lot of magic. Oh, lot of magic. But, disclaimer, it is not conjuring, <laughs> it is not sleight of hand, it is not magic like Mr. David Blaine or Mr. Darren Brown or Mr. Paul Daniels. I seem to have turned up to the it's, wrong podcast. Yeah, sorry. i prepared all the wrong It's things. not those two that like hide tigers uh, <laughs> uh, behind well, screens. Siegfried and Roy. Yeah. One of them's dead, he got mauled by a tiger. I know. <laughs> I, we talked about that on I should probably say, ago. though, actually, the history of ma- that sort of magic is actually quite interesting. Well, you're a Houdini fan and you're all this. Kind of... I'm not really a Houdini fan. I just like weird shit, so I've got some books about yeah. things like this. But definitely, if you go back into the sort of 1800s and early 1900s, yeah. it's kind of like, it touches on a bit of carny culture. Yeah. They were doing a lot of weird shit. And yeah, Houdini was a very interesting man. But that's not what we're going to be doing. No, that's not kind of it. This is more about like magical thinking and the fact that magic is kind of a bit everywhere and kind of where that all kind of came from. And we're going to be going back to really early on we should probably make a disclaimer as well and say that we're not actually experts in this. Oh, hell no. <laughs> but also, possibly importantly to say, is that, generally speaking, if you were someone that read books about this sort of shit, if you were into weird shit, yeah. probably most of the magical stuff that you've ever read, and I, I'm speaking for myself here, really, is about Alistair Crowley, maybe even some like modern-day yeah. Satanism. We've touched on a lot of this stuff in all sorts of places throughout this oh, podcast. God, yeah. It definitely came up uh, in the folk horror episode. Well, yeah. You know, it came up in... The Satanic Panic, Satanic we might have Panic. mentioned it. Discordianism probably comes across Alistair Crowley at some yeah, point. Yeah, a lot of conspiracy-type thinking yeah. touches on certainly, like, Satanism. But there's also, sorry, in the Hellier episode where there was a lot of, like, natural ritual stuff that they did, isn't it? They were calling upon, like gods of like the nature world and stuff well yeah they were, cos- they bit... were cosplaying I mean they were the cosplaying case, it but, yeah of course yeah. <laughs> but there's people who in our modern day would consider themselves witches or uh, pagan kind of following which is all very magical thinking totally but the, but I will say yeah. so that's the stuff that I know yeah. a little bit about and again we are not in any way practicing any of this stuff. Uh, no, just We're interested. not in any way saying that you can cast spells on people. No. We don't believe in bullshit, generally <laughs> speaking. But one of the reasons we did this episode is because Siobhan read this book yeah. called The History of Magic. Yeah. And it more or less covers everything that isn't 
the stuff that I've just described. Yeah. It's, this, it covers all of the stuff that happened before all of that stuff. So, therefore, I know absolutely nothing about this. When we started talking about uh, an episode about magic, I was thinking, oh, yeah, I can talk to you. Yeah. All this shit that I've read about Alistair Crowley and all of this shit that Which I've read about Anton LaVey. It might come up, but fundamentally we're going to be talking about what I think is appropriate to describe as ancient magic. Yeah, Like what magic level. is based on. I mean, almost. I would say that everything I've read doesn't even come up to Christianity existing. It's like pre-religion. Pre when everything went to shit. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and this book is amazing. I read, I got it thinking, um, I'm from interested. From Bookbuster from and book Hastings. Bookbuster and Hastings. Shout out yeah. to Bookbuster. Whoop, whoop. Got That's a few magic job. books from there, actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I, just because I saw it, it says history of magic, it says from alchemy to witchcraft, ice age to the present. And I was like, what the fuck? I don't know anything, actually. This might be quite interesting. And it's way different to what I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, because this guy is written by a guy called Chris Gosden, who is a professor at some uni. I think he's an archaeologist. And it comes from a place of kind of human civilization and, the, and where magic kind of came from in the first instance. And I thought, oh, it's going to, I don't know, just be really interesting and talking about all rituals of the past. But it actually just gives the history of humankind because he (laughs) pretty much, I mean, it's insane. So we're going to be talking about (laughs) uh, really deep, like academic subjects and like history Uh. and really deep like (laughs) spiritual matters. And then later on, we're going to (laughs) be... Reviewing the film <laughs> Ginger, Ginger Dead Man versus Evil Bong. Yeah, because we thought it might be something to do with magic, but we'll get to that because <laughs> fuck my life. But this book is just so interesting purely because, like, at first I was like, I'm not sure, is he just going to spoon feed me his opinion? But actually, I think this is really interesting and it made me uh, just a little bit interested in magic and where it all came from. Is that why you keep bothering our black cat? <laughs> I haven't even gotten to the black cat. <laughs> you got bit. The, wand, the wand from Amazon. <laughs> I've got my wand, black cat, I keep walking in front of her. So the main point that this guy is making is around humankind and human connections with the universe. And that's how he understands what magic is. Because I guess, like you just said, like magic wands and casting spells is kind of the immediate thing that comes to mind. But this guy, because I guess his archaeological background has been looking at things more like human civilization and how it maybe didn't even exist without the idea of magic mm-hmm. which kind of blew my mind a little bit because i was just like oh yeah you know ice age cavemen just living their life and you, you don't even, you couldn't even imagine what it would have been like or how people like lived their lives and, I and you suppose... didn't really assume that magic would be a thing and in those times it wasn't called magic no. Like magic didn't exist as a concept. Lots of things, lots of things that we take for granted now wouldn't have existed as a concept. Yeah. So it wasn't like this wouldn't have been described as magic. This was just a way of life. It's just life. Right? It's kind of like flat earthers didn't exist when everyone thought the, the earth was flat. Yeah. Because that's just how it was. You do know what? You're, it's so true. And I think something that he points out in this book is doesn't really it hasn't made it clear when magic gets termed as magic like there's loads of like who are about where the words come from and i think it might be like old persian and old greek stuff but since the invention of anthropology which is like a victorian edwardian like study mm. magic's been poo-pooed pretty heavily and seen as like this really primitive way of being because western civilization moved on and started using science and religion and i'll get to that so magic kind of gets this... We're not anti-science, by the way. No, not when anti-science. Say, we'll get to that. No, we'll get to sorry. fucking science in a minute. Got to sort <laughs> them cunts out. 
Than a certain elephant on there. Religion, however, but we'll, we'll get to all of these things. <laughs> elephant on science, you fucking. And then once it's dead, I'll send it back to its funeral. <laughs> Very that. Very that. No, no, no. Nothing against science, but the introduction of these kind of like ways of thinking in the Western world kind of sees other cultures that still embrace magic as somewhat primitive. And and um, probably, uh, I don't think anyone would use these words, but I think stupid. Yeah. People would see them as being... Yeah. You've uh, got science and religion that explains all yeah. this. Why are you... But how absurd. Why would you Why would you do this thing from exactly. ancient times? Yeah. Whereas this guy's kind of coming from a point of, look, the world's falling to absolute shit right now. We need it. And he describes it as a holistic approach of understanding our world, which is more common than anyone and like really appreciates because his point is the world was magical up until the invention of religion and the understanding of science all of which he argues couldn't have happened without magic and that's very much actually sits in with sort of modern day satanism yeah most most modern day satanism like def- definitely Un- anton lavey but i think crowley as well like that was th- i think that holistic phrase might come from crowley yeah, maybe. I think that idea of using everything that's available. Yeah, everything you can call upon. Yeah. Any kind of which way. So what is magic in this ter- in these terms? Well, so he describes it as participation. So various ways of participating with the cosmos, with the universe, is how, as it, is how he describes it. The importance on cause and effect. And ca- the way he describes it, there's a bit where he describes um, like African tribal magic. Um, and there's a point at which they believe because they poisoned a chicken, a whole mill collapsed that day. It's really strange and really odd. And there's this belief that because someone did this bad thing, a bad thing happened. Okay. And they caused it to happen. Almost like karma. Yeah, but we'll, we'll kind of, no, like, kind of like, not really karma, but more like someone did a thing and it made this other thing happen. Okay. Um, and so it's like power. And his point is, he doesn't believe that it happened. But he said, does it matter whether I believe it happened or not? The belief that you can control your environment in that way means you have to respect it. And he kind of sees it more as this cause and effect. Like, does it really matter whether we really believe that doing this spell means you do this thing? It's more that kind of understanding that we may have these influences, maybe leading more to karma, leading more to... Doing good or doing bad. Like, you know, what happens to you if you do a bad thing? A bad thing might happen, so therefore do good things. Well, And this comes into reality thought, doesn't it? This is Robert Anton Wilson all over. It's like, if you believe in this stuff, then... It doesn't that isn't that enough? Isn't that enough? Doesn't that make it real to you? If if it's real to you, then it's real. Yeah, because you've only got yourself, only got your own uh, view. Yeah, and that's loosely a point that he's making from the very beginning. Is that kind of like yeah? If you believe it, then does it matter? And Mm. and again, eventually, religion comes along, and you could argue a similar thing. Claude Levi Strauss. Oh yeah, made the jeans. Not the one I don't believe. Although, sadly, when I was reading my books, I did look it up. Very sad. But yeah, he said magic was the humanisation of the universe and this continuity between human actions and the world around us, but also the universe's influence on us. Um, So anyway, Chris Gosden phrases it as participation and says there's three types of participation that pretty much describes all magic. I've kind of heard like black magic and white magic That's a more modern description though isn't it yeah that's like left hand path and right hand path and exactly. all that, so that all comes way later than this this is 
This is all like pre all of this stuff. Yeah. And, then, and yeah, he makes it quite clear at the beginning of his book that he's not describing like that. Or he's not even going to look into the kind of idea of witches and black magic and curses and stuff. I mean, this is like 40,000 years ago he starts this book. And it's like, it was people trying to understand the world. Mm-hmm. So he talks about three types. Transcendent participation, which is being influenced, but we can't affect it. Essentially, astrology is pretty much the main version of this. Okay. So, like, the idea that the planets do their thing, the moon does its thing, and it has an effect on us, but we don't have anything to do with it. So, as a result of a planet moving, that causes something to happen to us or with our behaviour as well, I suppose? Because that's astrology, isn't it? It's like, Saturn is in this place and therefore you're going to feel really sad and something's going to be horrible to you. And I guess, you know, people have their opinions on this. I personally think Zodiac and all that is probably a load of whatever but modern day culture doesn't necessarily agree i mean there's chinese new year this is exactly what this is and we still like use it to this day like some cultures still really influenced by this but people's like cultures over the years trying to like figure out what the movement of the stuff in the sky meant Mm. like for example he goes to this um, archaeological site and finds something that was dug up from 27,000 years ago, which I think is the last time the Earth heated up or cooled down. I can't remember, like, Ice Age sort of, like, time. Like, fucking... This would have been, like, people walking around with gazelles and animals and just, like... I can't, <laughs> well, you couldn't even imagine a, it. people a friendly gazelle that they were just chilling I with. think, honestly, the way he's describing <laughs> it is, like, animals had to, like, get on with humans and humans had to get on with animals and there was this... Well, there, there, was, there like, wouldn't have respect. been a divide, right? No, there wouldn't have known I mean, the difference. I mean, that's maybe another huge thing that's happened within modern society is that we are absolutely see ourselves as separate from animals. Yeah. And no, there's no comparison, really. Yeah. In our uh, way of thinking. But, of course... Yeah. We were just the same as them then. The last ice age is the first time the humans like got through it, but mm. they would have been in groups of like tiny amounts yeah. spread all over the world. Didn't know about each other, wouldn't have known anything, but would have been roaming around with deer and gazelles and fucking animals that don't exist now. And it's kind did of... they have language at this point? It's not exactly clear. They definitely start drawing. And that becomes a big thing. And and what people's opinion of drawing is, is like, again, that gets really interesting. But writing, I think, comes a bit later in like Mesopotamia, Egyptian kind of time, which is literally right. not too too far along. I mean, it's thousands and thousands of years. So they, pro- they were probably communicating to some extent, but it would have been incredibly basic. Yeah, and it depends if you like walk a certain way, but people would have been walking the, the lines of like planets, would have been following stars, following moons. And also you think like, it was pure wilderness. Like, the sky would have been so bright. Mm. They'd have been looking up and being like, this has to mean something. They have no concept of who they are, what they are. Whereas now we can go, like, we're a planet in the universe. They would have been looking up and being like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. What, that has, all of this has to mean something. Well, imagine a, a starry night. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, without any light pollution or whatever. Just, you know, now, yeah. if you get out of the city a yeah. little bit and you look up, I find that completely mesmerizing yeah but imagine how mesmerizing that would be if you had absolutely zero understanding of exactly what that could even be or like what you're what you you wouldn't even know you were standing on a planet let alone that there was other planets exactly how did when did people figure out what that other stuff was is beyond but why are we now regress why are flat earthers regressing (laughs) back (laughs) <laughs> now we're like no this is all bullshit we're in a dome rain goes like because of this but basically this guy found something in a pit 
from 27,000 years ago that had little markings on it and had 29 markings on it grouped in like a five, a seven, a seven and a five. I don't know if that makes 29, but something to that effect. And what they reckon that is, is like the first understanding of the moon passing. Yeah. It's like a lunar cycle. And it's like fucking hell, 27,000 years ago, people who didn't have language, didn't have any way of really communicating, were figuring out that the moon meant something. Yeah. And that, you know, now we have months. And this is like the first, like, thing of months. But anyway, people considered this as a weird kind of magic because this is the only thing we are learning to understand. Does this affect us in any way? They would put a lot of onus on this and kind of, like, live their lives by the cycles of the moon, which we, again, technically do now. We have months. Then you have transformation, which is two things. Alchemy, Mm -hmm. so like the turning of metals into some other things. And Isaac Newton, who no one would name as a magician, actually had a ridiculously big interest in magic and the way that the universe kind of all interacted with each other. So even though he went on to give us quite a lot of things that are very scientific and very like mechanical, he had a, a furnace going at all times, at, I think it was Oxford University, specifically for alchemy, because mm. he was interested in... He was like, there is more to the world than just science. I think alchemy was seen as a science at some point in, in, in long... Before Newton's time. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing. Alchemy was probably one of the first things that would have been... Consi- in the way that we view science yeah. now... Hundreds and hundreds of years ago, alchemy was probably seen in that sort of a light. We don't have science without all this magic stuff coming first. Like, when they were studying the moon, they were doing it for magical reasons because they believed the moon had some impact on their well-being. But we now it, we use it for science. Like, mm. And all of, all of what's come now forms our idea of science. Elon Musk car. There you go. He's going to the moon. Going to the moon. Right? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's like there you science. go. Science. We understood it. <laughs> But then also um, shamanism, which mm. I don't really completely fully understand. He's a good, he's a good, he's a good. It's not that, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> shamanism is really interesting because there's like two parts to it. There's the bit that I kind of vaguely understand, and it still happens to this day, yeah, where it's people who believe they can enter the spirit of another animal and therefore get into the spirit world and also see, get into the sky. And that's really super interesting. But there's this bit like tens of thousands of years ago where people believed that they could draw something onto a wall. So if I drew a picture of a deer, I wouldn't just be drawing a picture of a deer. That would now be a deer. That would exist. Yeah, like that that itself. And they would call that a shaman as well. It's not really the same thing. The deer or the person that drew it. The deer. Okay. And then special people could read it who would also be shaman. It's very confusing. But yeah, like this idea of drawing something and it really meaning what it is... But that brings us back to this other idea of magic in a more modern modern term, which is that magic, and this is from straight from Alan Moore, the yeah. comic book writer, you know, the, the writer, um, is that magic is creating something that wasn't there in the first place. Yeah. And we've talked about this, I think, on this podcast before, which is that if you write a song, that song didn't exist before you yeah. wrote it. And so isn't that a magic trick? Isn't yeah. that from, isn't it like pulling a rabbit out of a hat? It's like... There is nothing, now there is something. Yeah. And, you know, and any sort of art looked on in that way, and I really like this this explanation of art, is that all art is therefore magic. Yeah. And you're creating a thing. And so you can see that in a very basic understanding of the world, imagine drawing something. Yeah. I mean, obviously we would look at it now and think, oh, that looks like a stick figure or whatever. But oh, if gosh, you yeah. have no idea that you could put a stick into a wall or a stone into a wall, 
yeah. and create a line and then you created a number of different lines and it looked like something, yeah. then is in your understanding you have created a deer or you have created yeah. a person, you know? I mean, I, it's exactly that. Like, we... I'm going to use the word primitive, but my kind of primitive understanding of what, like, cave paintings and stuff were was, like, oh, it's documentation of the past because that's how we now see things and that's how what we now do. Like, people write stuff down so that future generations will understand things. But there's no fucking way in hell. Or they write too much down on the internet, so therefore future uh, generations can't deal with it all and therefore don't understand things anymore. Very true. We've kind of, <laughs> again, we've, we've really gone wrong somewhere, which is what this man's uh, saying. We need to look back at what the meanings of things are. But yeah, they definitely, you know, 27,000 years ago, people weren't writing stuff down thinking the future is going to understand this. Mm. They were writing stuff down for reasons. I think it's in Egyptian culture, you would chant as well Mm. so like you would draw something believe it was that thing and then chant to like bring it to life and the thing is whether you truly believe this or not and at the time they truly did believe it it's the idea of you believing in that thing it's also the act of doing it as well i mean one of the things that we've lost a lot in modern society now that religion is no longer an important part of our lives yeah is that we've lost a lot of like ritualism yeah so we've lost so the act of it doesn't matter if jesus really exists or if god really Mm. exists the act of getting together with a group of people and singing a song with them about how much you all think the same thing and saying a prayer with them all of those things are like a psychotherapy of sorts yeah and and i think that probably it was the same thing you know shamans modern day shamans there's a lot of musicians this is a very big thing in sort of the 80s, I think, more than in kind of like the more new agey end of the 80s, like indie world. There's a lot of people that are described as uh, when they're performing as like shamanistic. Oh, yeah. And the idea of that is that people get stuff out of themselves through that person or through that person's music yeah. or through that band's music. Yeah. And we all fucking do that. Yeah. Go to a DIY punk show. That's what you're doing. Yeah. You're getting, you know, you're dancing around, you're laughing with your mates, you're doing whatever. And that gets something out of you, which means that you feel better at the end of it. Yeah. And in a, that's what, to me anyway, that's what shamanism is. And so going all the way back to ancient times when there was actually a shaman. Yeah. Is that, that is a religious experience in a lot of ways. Is it a religious experience or is it a magical experience? But are they, are, or are they the, are they the well, same? Well, there you go. Because you could compare a lot of what you were describing about cave paintings and things like that. What's the difference between a cave painting of... Uh, some ancient god and millions of pictures of Jesus yeah. that are on people's walls. And the communion when you are yeah. eating bread and you're drinking his blood, like you're eating bread and it's his body and you're drinking wine and it's his blood. Mm. That's fucking magic. That's not yeah. religious. That's, yeah, that's a ritual. Yeah. But it's just interesting that if you think of magic, people go, oh no, no, magic, blah, 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 blah. Well, they like, probably think, oh, you're, an, you're a, a lunatic. Yeah, you're a lunatic. Whereas, Whereas if you believe in Jesus, like framed... I think you're a lunatic. Yeah, that? true. I think you <laughs> the, the general society probably doesn't. <laughs> and then the third t- uh, type of participation, so that was transcendent, transformation, and then transactional, which is kind of more the magic that we might be used to thinking of in as much as it's bargaining with the universe. So the idea, and Egypt did this, Chinese culture has done this for a long time. It's the idea of like offering things up to things you don't understand. Like people might be offering it to old ancestors. And that's a really big thing in like old Chinese culture. Like to offer up feasts and um, vessels of stuff in like tombs. Mm. Same in Egypt. Like Egypt, you buried your dead with fucking tons of stuff. 
Well, at least the rich did. I think in Chinese um, so culture, they... at funerals, they still do something very similar to that. And I, when I used to work on the funerals, we did a few Chinese funerals, and they, yeah. were, they were completely different to anything that we would do before. But because they were in this country, they had to have some sort of funeral service yeah uh, uh, you know that we dictated for them not we not i not the fat men in miss-sized suits <laughs> i mean as in the government or whatever yeah but but yeah there was an awful lot of stuff that went in the coffin yeah and there was a lot of things being burnt there was loads of things being burnt and this is all magic it's not religion no, this course, is not yeah, like yeah. a religious thing at all this is pure magic but it's become tradition and i think a lot of things that happen nowadays that we call tradition and superstition all comes from magic yeah and superstition is looked at as poo-poo-y but tradition people don't argue with because it's culture Mm. but it's still magic so yeah the idea of burying people with their belongings with things for the next life chinese culture has this really long magical idea of lineage Mm -hmm. so you would respect your ancestors and your ancestors could help you in your life and then when you go on to the next life you're you're not dead you're just moving into another plane as it were and so you would go with belongings. I mean, back in the day, fuck me, the stuff they used to do for transactional. And this is where it's like, it's cool when it does no harm, but some people were like buried with other people. And the idea is that they were probably sacrificed to go with them. So oh, say right. a princess died, everyone that was employed by her would be murdered <laughs> and buried with her so that when the next life she still had her servers oh okay interesting <laughs> it's really I mean, like messed darker. up i mean that's yeah that's probably so magic- more about class than the- <laughs> uh, and this is and this is the other thing a lot of what we know about like magic of the past is the elite like it's a really yeah, an elite course. thing yeah. like there was loads of lower level magic happening in everywhere and everyone understood the world magically but like the stuff we have buried and preserved is the like higher up stuff for example egypt like yeah. people like regular people didn't get fucking huge tombs but that's really interesting going all the way back to what you were talking about uh in relation to like cave paintings and all of that yeah. stuff where that wasn't that wasn't telling a history that was for a different reason yeah. but of course at that time there was no elite no so the any history that you might have i mean obviously a lot of it's guesswork or mm. you know it's taken from however people work out these things yeah like archaeological <laughs> yeah. whatever yeah, yeah. You know, you're not getting... There's a, it's a funny thing. Again, we sort of regressed at some point. Yeah. There's, like, any history that exists about people up to a certain point is about people. Yeah. And then at some point, for whatever reason, some sort of system of these people yeah. are better than these people starts to come up. It happens for different reasons in different places. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and, like, it, it's definitely interesting. So China, it's a family lineage eventually comes to the fore. So someone who's decided that they've come from a really good family ends up having rule. And they have rule for, like, thousands of years. So you sometimes hear of, um, like, Han rule. Uh, There was a Zhao rule. More European sort of way was, like, tiny little groups becoming bigger, basically, because people didn't live together for ages. And then once people were able to survive longer and, like, figure out what farming was, what agriculture was, again... All of that only comes because of magical thinking as well. Mm, mm. Because they were like, oh, the moon's going this way. Oh, the sun's going this way. Once people understood lunar cycles and the year cycles, they could farm. They only understood that through magical thinking as well. I think the first cities was Egypt and then somewhere in Italy. It's like, And they yeah. become the bigger places. And Egypt is the first to have like a hierarchical state. That, then the Illuminati started, see? Well, there you go. He, Actually, this... that was in Hungary. <laughs> 
Well, I'll ask it slightly but, later. Well, this guy has an argument with someone about the Illuminati at one point. In his oh, book, God. And he's just like, it's interesting. Everyone's got their own opinions. But yeah, Egypt was like the first like hierarchical state. They had like pharaohs who could like, were the only ones that could speak to the gods and everyone worshipped them sort of thing. One of the main themes is about this triple helix between magic, religion and science, which we kind of started touching upon anyway. And it's about the history of humankind being understood through these three strands. And religion is kind of thought as pretty much only coming about in the couple of thousands of years before... We, we do everything before Christ, mm. like BC and AC. Is that what that all means? Yeah. Yeah, before Christ. Um, so the 2,000 years before Christ is pretty much when religion first starts happening. And that kind of all comes from... Well, not according thinking. to the Bible... Oh, well, the, Bible can, the Bible can do one. But there's no evidence to suggest that religion really even really exists prior to that. Uh, and the first early religions are more, is it Confucius? Confucius. Which isn't really religion, but it starts the ideas of Buddhism and Taoism and all that kind of stuff. That becomes the earliest versions of religion. And monotheism, the belief in one God, comes a little bit later along with like Islam and judaism and christianity but prior to all of that magic was the only thing that we had science is a little bit before that you could argue that science starts when people start realizing like farming all of that kind of stuff is the beginning of science and agriculture but you've had magic since pretty much the beginning of humankind there was this guy called james frazier who i think is an anthropologist again and he talks about human history shifting from magic to then, like, early fertility cults and sacrifices and all this sort of stuff, eventually to the belief of a king, and then eventually it goes into God's religion and then eventually replaced by science. And so magic does instigate all of this, but it kind of gets forgotten about once religion appears, once kings appear, and then science appears. And magic Because those then things, I suppose, primitive. replace it. I mean, science definitely replaced it, but also yeah. probably a monarchy... I mean, and religion obviously replaced it, but I think even having a monarchy or having a society, yeah, having some sort of society set up that you're expected to believe in, believing yeah. that you're from a certain place, yeah, patriotism in whatever sort of vague form it might have existed in in those times, yeah, that's true, would have all given you something else to believe in, yeah. The moon's not so important if you think that your king is second to God. Yeah, no, that's you true, know? and I think I think it does. It becomes it becomes your kings being interesting to God because again, in Egypt times, the kings were like the closest to the fair, like the pharaohs and the the gods yeah. that they had. But that was still kind of magical. But yeah, then when religion starts, then it's like, oh, you can speak to the God. Cool. Then it's yeah. you, and magic's not so uh, important as such. But again, at this point, he kind of talks about the idea of magic being kinship again. And science seeks to explain the world. Religion seeks to say, oh, humans have no rule over it whatsoever. It's all to do with a higher being. Whereas Which magic... in a way explains the world as well, I suppose. But just well, no, but that's way. the way of explaining the world. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, oh, humankind, you can't do anything but appease your God and then things will be fine. Whereas magic was kind of this more understanding of actually we have a place within the world. We can affect it, but the world affects us. And it's kind of this more like mutual respect sort of thing. Whereas, yeah, science and religion kind of remove that. And I thought it was really interesting because I guess this is why this man's writing this book at this time. He's like, we're in a world where the human element is removed. We're expected to, we have nothing to do with it or we have total domination over it. But mm. we're not, it's not a very mutual, respectful, holistic view of the world. Yeah, we're in a place where we feel like we understand everything. 
and also in a place where we feel like we can control everything. Mm. Something goes wrong, then somebody is to blame. Something is to blame. Yeah. And that takes away from our own, maybe our own responsibility, but also just an acceptance of the fact that chaos exists. Yeah. The fact that, you know, we, we may expect our walk to work to be the same as yesterday's walk to work, but anything could happen fundamentally. Yeah. And we've we've reduced that as much as we possibly can. So we're shocked when we're not in control of something. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's probably a very scientific way of looking at things, in as much as obviously, in certainly in modern day science, we see that we can we can control everything. We have a lot of control over things. But it's not like a personal moral control, if that makes sense. It's the opposite. It's of that. like completely, no, that's kind of my like, point. It's like we can control the outer things. Yeah. We've got a lot of control. You know, we've we've all got roofs over our heads. Yeah. We're all always warm. We're all always yeah. relatively comfortable. But yeah, therefore we've lost any kind of relationship, possibly. Yeah. With all with... of the things that we should be having a relationship yeah. with. We should probably be cold sometimes, do you know what I mean? But... We should probably be quite uncomfortable sometimes. We should be anxious sometimes. We should be but miserable if... sometimes. But if we are, it's always someone else's fault. There's yeah, always exactly. a reason for it, isn't it? We don't have a personal relationship with exactly. those things. I mean, we, by the way, this is a very that's very sort of we do. Of course, we do, and everybody does we, to some extent. But we've minimised it in a way. Yeah. that I think that we can't even imagine what it would have been like when we actually had to be faced with these things. Yeah, exactly. One of the interesting things about old ancient Chinese culture was that they didn't have a calendar as such. They had a cycle of good and bad days. And they had magical ways of dealing with this. And so I don't believe in the magic of it, necessarily. Um, Like, as in, I don't believe that what they were doing really did tell them what was going to happen. For example, they used to drill into bones of animals, like dead animals. They would get, like, the scapula of a cow, drill a hole into it, and if it cracked a certain way on the day that they asked the king a specific question... The king could read this cracking in the bone and determine an answer for them. It sounds like Mystic Meg. It's very, yeah, it's very, <laughs> it's very early Mystic Meg. <laughs> it's all a bit of a like ritual weird way of getting to an answer to a question to something that eventually you have some impact on if you believe that it's happening. Yeah. So if you go to them and you're like, I've done all this because I really want to know if tomorrow is going to be a good day. And then this man says, oh, because of the crack in this bone, tomorrow's not going to be a good day. You then have this idea of whether you can control that or not. Yeah. And kind of you, you know, you can then ask further questions to find out if you're going to have any control over it or not. Or you can, you can, you're then faced with a weird version of reality that you go, right, is tomorrow going to be a bad day? I'm going to figure this out. It would also be like, is it going to rain? Is it going to this? And then you see if it's actually going to happen or not. But because if you wake up as well thinking it's going to be a bad day, it will be a bad day. Like, you know, weather is, there's a very wide scope of weather, isn't it? So whilst you might say, oh, it's terrible weather today, that could actually, if you'd thought to yourself, the day's going to be amazing. Yeah. Then you might think, well, the weather wasn't that great, but it was nice for what it was. Like, we needed a bit of rain, you know, whatever. But it was also then people would, act in good faith to try and encourage these things to be better. Mm. So, um, again, leaving, like, gifts out for particular gods. And when they had gods, like, they would create statues of things and then it wouldn't be of a god, that would be a god. So they'd have this little statue of something that they would produce really, like, over-the-top vessels of food and fluids 
for this like stick in the ground, which again seems which like, is what we do to gravestone now. Yeah, again that's magic. Mm. It's like honouring your dead, whether you believe it or not. We again we see it as tradition now. Well, but I don't know if we even see it as tradition. We see it almost like as a respect thing. Yeah. So, and I think that's something that's happened to all of this stuff. Yeah. Is that what was once magic is now just kind of expected. Yeah. So I don't think anybody thinks to themselves, if they go and put some flowers on their nan's grave, yeah. no one thinks of that in a magical way. No. Probably no one really thinks of it that there's any particular use for it. It's just something you do. It's yeah. Just, you're being respectful to nan. Like, God, she'd like these flowers. Yeah. It doesn't matter that she's dead and she's got no fucking idea that the flowers are there and it makes no difference. She's yeah. literally rotting into the ground. And, but you know, <laughs> none Granny's of those got things. worms. Yeah, no, no. But, you know, actually, in reality, that is probably magical thinking. Yeah. And, of course, true. if we did it right, what it should be is you should plant a tree over them and then they're, as they rot, they would give the tree nutrients. My, and, I know. Yeah, my granddad, well... Was buried in a place that did that. Mm. You could like bury your ashes at the bottom of a tree, and they plant a tree over them. It's amazing. I mean, what we should really do is just throw ourselves in the bin onto a dead and just set go into it, the sea. Set it alight. Yeah, yeah. Or <laughs> take everyone who's your friend with you, uh, like they used to back in the day. And so, in well, your I, next sorry, life, sorry, anyone who's listening who's our friends. I'm probably going first, and you're fucking coming with me. <laughs> yeah, I need a party in the afterlife. I'm taking everything with me. It's magic. It's fucking magic. <laughs> There's this, like, ultimate, like, kinship with the world, but there was an awful lot of sacrifices, which... I, think the I just world can't was a imagine harsher that place, world. Though, yeah, well, you can't like, imagine that like world. Like the, the death of the, the oh, we're talking about death more than we should be. Probably, yeah. I'm not saying this in a kind of like <laughs> joyous way, but like the death of people and animals and things like that, it didn't have the same effect no. on people. It was no. expected. And also, most people, didn't... people died really young. Yeah. And you were just you'd expected your kids just, to die, and, stuff. and people assumed that you didn't die. Most people were like. Mm. Believed in ancestors and therefore believed when you died, you just went on and you were prayed to. Yeah. So it must have been a world where you weren't as afraid of death. and Maybe it was expected a lot more and a lot earlier than, than we are now. We're very fortunate, well, I say fortunate to live as long as we do, but I imagine... I think life, we could knock a couple of years off, could couldn't we, at this point, really? Could definitely. <laughs> but yeah, like death was just not seen as like the be-all and end-all. Like People didn't necessarily know a heaven or a hell, but they just expected that you went on somewhere and and you were to be respected in your next life but of course as well there's some truth in that in a metaphorical sense if you have kids you know which obviously was a huge part of being a human being at that time everyone would have would have had kids and yeah and of course you do pass yourself that you know we are all we do all have a little bit of our 2000 years ago ancestor in us whether it be literally, biologically, which I think we probably do to some extent, but definitely psychologically, because yeah. because parents pass all of their shit down. We were talking yeah. about this earlier. Yeah, Your parents yeah. fuck you up. Like, you know, a parent 5,000 years ago passed some weird little Part thing of down. Their parenting down, yeah. To all the way down to you, yeah. you know? And, and so in some ways, that is that not eternal life? Yeah. Are well, we not just another link in a chain? Buddhism is hugely based on this as well. Mm. Like this concept of just eternal life and you take it from your ancestors. Every single part of you is based on something that came before you. Mm. And it's just such an accepted part of other cultures that we don't necessarily in the kind of Western world really appreciate. And I think by not appreciating that, and whether you believe it or not, like you say, like very... Very factually, we are made up of everything that came before us. Mm. It means you kind of just lose connection with the world, as it were. We become very individualistic. Our whole culture is 
an individualistic one. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Like yeah, again, yes. like you say, yeah. we don't really have religion, and pre-religion was magical thinking. And I would say that the religions of the East, like like Buddhism, are very linked to magical thinking, as opposed to our like monotheism. I think that's what mm. it's called when it's just like a one god and yeah, everything's yeah. given to them. You kind of lose those connections with the world. And again, those Eastern religions are very more based in spiritualism and being at one with other things like zen and like yin and yang that's like the oldest version of magical thinking but it's also a staple part of some of that religion yeah and i think this is probably why people in the modern world where we are all feeling completely disconnected and we are also individual are possibly in a bit of a superficial way but still trying to rediscover a lot of this stuff yeah i mean you could take it all the way up to you know mindfulness or whatever yeah you know all these different which are mostly now presented as these psychological things because they are psychological things i think that a lot of people are sort of superficially rediscovering magic yeah they don't know it they're not describing it in that way yeah i completely agree and this this is kind of where i mean where like buddhism has come from magical thinking because you're right, we, we're now seeing it as this, like, psychological thing, this proven thing, scientific. So mm. I'm not stupid for doing it. Yeah. Well, like, but you'd be stupid if you did something magical. That's kind of the, like, I don't agree with that, but that's... No, totally. That's how but culture you, sees you, it. You don't call it magic anymore, you call yeah. it management training. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you don't call it magic anymore, you call it fucking personal growth or yeah. CBT or yeah. whatever. And, and those things are great, you know, I'm not bad-mouthing them, but it's like an acceptable word that you're allowed to say and people go wow yeah and when people were like do you remember when feng shui was really cool for a little bit and like zen and fucking having your little bonsai gardens and stuff and those balls did you have those balls in your hands that you fiddled with i'm aware of the balls in your hands (laughs) but like feng shui is like magic yeah like the ideas behind these things that people have in modern times have decided are cool and then let go of like People will be like, oh, it's because I'm interested in this culture. And it's like, yeah, but what you're doing is magic. Yeah. And if you called it magic, I'm sure you'd have a different opinion of what you're doing and thinking. But all of this, like, positioning of stuff to have chi and to have all of this stuff is just pure magic. So um, in con- but if you believe it, then does it matter? Well, in conclusion, yes. what we're saying is everything you do is actually magic. Yeah. Every song you've Every ever loved thing she does is, is actually magic. magic. Sting's been right. Sting's been right God all along. damn it. Sting, the tantric bastard, knew the whole time. He's still fucking, I reckon, Sting. I hope not. He's still he on. He's still, he's still not finished fucking someone that he started in 1973. Oh. <laughs> he's just still doing He's going to be fuck. huge. I'll tell you what, when it happens, he'll be dead. <laughs> from, from joy. <laughs> See, I think this Chris Gosden, again, this book I think is really good, The History of Magic, he kind of sums it up really neatly. He said, magic connects people to the world in a condition of kinship. Kin need care and magic can help us develop those conditions of care. Magic encourages a holistic view of human beings, linking them to the planet through practical and moral relationships. At a time when we need positive and holistic planetary thinking, magic has much to offer. Just like Sting Tantric fucking. There you go. 
If you if if you weren't sold on magic, <laughs> then I hope I hope Sting sold you it. <laughs> I but tell yeah. you what, our podcast has got so schizophrenic. I know I've said this already, but we are li- after this we are literally going to be talking about Ginger Dead Man. It's so fucked up. Um, but first of all, we're going to play a song. Uh, this is a classy song. This is a magic song that didn't exist before the band Vintage War made it. Oh, there you go. What a load of magic. Uh, it's from their new album, which is called Plague State, which has just been released in the UK on cassette by Cat's Claw Records. Mm-hmm. We played a lot of Cat's Claw Records stuff Yee. on this podcast, and it's a fucking amazing label. So this is Vintage War with the song DOA. DOA! Previously alluded to, this week's trashy movie for review is The Ginger Dead Man versus Evil Bong from 2013. Get your little ass over here and smoke this shit. Best in the city. Life gives you limits. I make ginger bread men. You are a beast with that bomb. Let society keep the boot around my neck. Fuck you, man. Next up, I kill you. So good to see you, Rabbit. I have learned from my past mistakes. What the hell are you anyway? What the hell am I? What the fuck are you? Here's Gingy. Wow, sex and weed. The Ginger Dead Man. Yeah, you heard right, Ginger Dead, not Gingerbread. <laughs> the Ginger Dead Man seeks revenge against Sarah Lee 
Sarah, isn't Sarah Lee the Cheesecake Company? <laughs> yes, I think so. Sorry, everything about this is so shit. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't spot that in the film. Jesus Christ. The ginger dead man seeks revenge against Sarah Lee for causing him to live his life in the body of a gingerbread man. Her only hope is to team up with Larnell, who has problems of his own in the form of a magical talking bong named Evie. <laughs> what the fuck? It should be noted, and I don't think we really fully appreciated this. That this film is one in many of this franchise. Ginger Dead Man being one franchise, Evil Bong being another. So this is like Terminator versus Predator. And we watched this having not watched any other films. And fuck me, what what the fuck? That whole franchise thing, this is made by a company called Full Full Moon Pictures. Who at some point, if this podcast goes on long enough... We will probably do an episode all about. Oh, God. I was looking for a film which had some sort of, like, basically I was looking for a film that had magic in the title because I thought it would be cute. And I thought of Full Moon because I knew that they did loads. They've been making films for fucking years, like since the 80s. And uh, it's basically run by some brothers, really. It's a guy called Charles Band who's the main person in Full Moon, but he's got a couple of brothers. I think his dad used to be a director. And they all do different aspects of these films. They write, they do the music, they do all this shit. You might have heard of a few of them. The Puppet Master franchise was kind of like fairly big in the 80s. Okay. Um, and Trancers, I think I feel like that was kind of... They were like on video shop shelves. Oh, okay. Anyway. That was very much where they were aimed at. But some right. of their films, you know, back in the day, some of their films would have come out in the cinema and stuff like that. Really? But of course, by the time 2013 comes around, that's absolutely not the case. But what they have this tendency to do, they're kind of like a slightly more mainstream, but also much more shit version of trauma right in as much as there's a whole they've tried to set up a whole culture around them they release a magazine they do like loads of behind the scenes stuff there's just loads of shit that goes along with full moon i would say some of their 80s movies are pretty good and i thought this one might be anyway went on their website thinking, (laughs) thinking that there would be a film by them which had magic in the title the first thing that came up was the ginger dead man versus evil bong and i thought fuck it we've got it it. this is the one yeah i had a vague idea that these were franchises already but until we looked into it i had no idea that a (laughs) the ginger dead man there's three ginger dead men films and not this one, but all of the other ones star fucking Gary Bussey. I mean, Gary Bussey is the ginger dead man. He is, but not in this but film. Not in Someone this. else has taken his place. Yeah. Because presumably they didn't have enough money, I suppose. Uh, but he does pop up in this film because, don't worry, they do <laughs> recap the first, all the other films in all yeah. the other franchises uh, for us at length. About 10 minutes worth of footage from the other films. Comfortably. And not then, that that really helps. No. Not that that helps at all. No. Uh, but then Evil Bong uh, started off with one of Cheech and Chong in it, like the original one. I don't know what his role was in the first film. Yeah. But um, there has since been, I think, eight yeah, Evil Bong films. Eight, yeah. There have only been three, I think, when this was made. And then since then, they've really churned them out. Yeah. So maybe watching two, <laughs> two franchises go up against each other. They don't really go up against each other, but two franchises yeah. mixed together when you haven't seen any of the other things and know nothing about the other things, I'm just going to give it the benefit of the doubt that... No, I'm not going to give it the benefit of the doubt. Would it have made more sense if I'd watched all those films? No. I'm never watching them, by the no, way. I, no, no. It probably wouldn't have made any difference. I mean, this um, really was bad. <laughs> like a special kind of bad. So, go on. What was your... What was your? I was going to say what was your favourite bits, but what was your least favourite things and favourites, if there are any? I mean, whoever wrote this script has such a fucking teenage 
un-PC version of humour that they think is funny. Well, let's again just state this for the record. The person that wrote this script is Charles Band, who is a 60-something-year-old man. There we go. Uh, or maybe 50-something-year-old man, but he's, he's not... You're totally right, but is, yeah, he's, a, he's an old man who used... Who, whose humour worked better in the 80s. And in some yeah. respects, you could say it had none of the charm of the 80s. When no. people in 2013 say the script that people used to say in the 80s. Yeah, They come true. across as awful and horrible human yeah. beings. Whereas in the 80s, there was a certain amount of charm to it, I think. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe that's so. just for me. I don't really know. But. Yeah, no, I think, I think you might be right. I think you might be right. The opening scene is the ginger dead man on a beach with loads of topless girls. <laughs> and he says something like, if I wasn't a cookie, I'd be blowing custard all over you. I'm firing flour here. And it's just like, oh my God. Immediately you're like, right, this is where all the jokes are going. Um, I mean, you've got a feel for him. Gary Bussey can't shoot his custard. He can't shoot his custard because he's a burnt <laughs> little cookie. Oh, God, the main guy obviously thinks he's hilarious. Yeah, um, yeah. He's wearing a fucking ironic T-shirt and it's just... He's just a painful existence in the entirety of this film. He thinks he's Tom Hanks. He's that sort of... He's kind of like... He thinks oh, he's got think? charm. No, he's not. Let oh, me be no. clear. But he thinks he's kind of got that kind of, oh, he's a bit of fun, this guy. Like, oh, isn't he likeable? This main, oh. yeah, That's how he's playing the part. Uh, yeah, it's so unlikable. Like, yeah. The worst thing in this film is that main guy. He's, yeah. just, he's just horrendous. I love the when they're doing the recap for the ginger dead man cookie-like thing, and they're showing Gary Boosie, because Gary Boosie was a serial killer in, yes. the, in the other films. Oh, sorry, yeah, we should probably... And, yeah. the main, and the main girl is, like, a survivor of the serial killer. She apparently mixed his ashes... Yeah. A serial killer's ashes with spice mix... Yeah. ...and created a gingerbread man. Yeah, she goes, she goes, and somehow he came back as a cookie. Yeah. Like, it just goes from, he's dead, and her full explanation is... Somehow he came back as a cookie. Yeah, and yet they use up ten minutes to tell us that yeah. by showing little bits from the first three films. And, and then, like, summing up really quickly. And be like, <laughs> oh, cool, so why is this serial killer a cookie? Don't know. <laughs> I've just written down some of the other really shit lines. I totally Pokemon your chick, boobzilla indeed. That's I just awful. I think that it's important to say that that was said to a Japanese couple as oh, well. God, so, I mean, it was actually it quite racist. really racist. I'd like to, to... A Japanese couple come in and they can't speak English and one of them just turns around and goes, well, mate, I'd like to poke them on your chick. Yeah, <laughs> really bad, really bad. They're looking at some cookies or donuts at some point. They go, you call that a long john? How about some crushed nuts? <sighs> yeah. yeah. That's the kind of lines we're going here. There's a pastry tribunal that I don't understand <laughs> at all. <laughs> it's probably the is, best bit. Is a cookie being spoken to by other pastry items? Yeah. And uh, I don't understand. And they're all different ethnicities all. as well, which initially I did think was the, was the same person doing all of the voices. Yeah. And I was a bit worried. But uh, at the end, again, probably to use up. Uh, some runtime. Yes, of they course. show pictures of all of the people that played the different yeah. parts, and they were eth- ethnically yeah. appropriate. I would say that when they do that, they've not bothered taking photos of most of these people. They've just taken their headshots. Like the IMDb headshots. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. It is truly, truly horrendous. Yeah, there isn't a lot going for this film. <laughs> I must say, I've written down pretty much everything that I can find is good. I think I've just told you it all. Uh, and when I say good, I mean like notable i mean none of, the, none of those things are good yeah. um yeah i mean you've not touched so much on the evil bong storyline so i mean the film is set out in a way where it starts in a head shop yeah which is called 
it was once called Dick's Head Shop, but of course the S, S has rubbed been rubbed off. off. So it's Dick Head Shop. So that's hilarious. Hilarious joke. Um, and they go through all of the all of the bong films to tell us sort of what happened with the bong. And from what this isn't, I worked this out later in the film more than how it was explained. But more or less, if you have a go on the bong, you vanish. And you go inside the bong. Into the bong world. Into a strange world whereby your dreams come true, but it's kind of like a genie in as much as the bong's a bit of a trickster. So you say, you know, I want to get laid. And then you meet a sexy person in the bong. But then the sexy person turns out to murder you with a knife or something. You know, it's it's not terribly well explained. But I think think that is the point. And there is a man who works in the head shop who, as the film went on, I realised this might actually all just be him, and so therefore I am about to be really horrible about little people. Oh. And I have nothing against little people, let me be clear. (laughs) But there's a little man in it who I definitely thought for the first 10, 15 minutes of this film, which is more or less all of it that he's in, to be honest, that A, they'd done something to his voice, and I still think they'd done something to his voice. He sounds like he's sucked helium in. Well, I think they've exploited the fact that he's small by making his voice even higher, because it's definitely not his actual voice. It can't be, or is it? I didn't... That's what I'm trying to say. As the film went on, I started to think, oh, maybe I've just been out... I thought they were being horrible about this man. I thought what they'd done is... Because all the shots of him from afar, you can't see his face. So for the first 10 or 15 minutes of this film, I thought what they'd done is they've got... A no. taller man, yeah, and they had filmed him, and then when they wanted to show him as small, they'd got like a child. Yeah, it did look like That's that. That's what, it, and the whole. Which... I don't know if this was deliberate. I don't know if this was to fuck with you because as it went on, you realise actually this guy is just a, a short person, a short person, yeah, with possibly with a high voice, yeah. But at uh, the beginning, it is definitely filmed in a way that you think they yeah, just superimposed th- someone's voice into this person. You're right, it's always filmed from above to make him look small and from a distance, it's always from behind. Look like a child in a wig. And I still don't know 100% that that isn't what's happened. But I sort of think if that is what happens, it's very strange because it's not funny. No. I mean, I kind of, I think that they think it's funny. I think they think, oh, you know what we should do? We should get a small. There's a lot of full moon films that have got people of smaller stature and have exploited them. Yeah. And so I wonder if this is just another version of that. I'm not really sure. But the guy's name in real life is just The Don. The Don. So, I mean, I like him. (laughs) I really do like him. There is a bit in one of the clips from, I think it's from the first film, where they go to a strip club. Yes. There's a lot of excuses for, for just people to get oh, their boobs out. Oh, a lot of excuses out. for boobs. But they, they sort of have this memory thing. So they, they, there's a little kind of dream bubble in yes. the screen. And they keep showing bits from the earlier films. And they obviously want to get this thing in. And it's a strip club where <laughs> as soon as it cl- cuts to this strip club, there's like a Limp biscuit light song yeah. go- that they're dancing to. And it goes, I know you want it, baby. I, 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 I know you want it, baby. I, 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 And that's the only lyrics that are played throughout, I think, probably a good minute of screen time. God. I don't know who that band is, but it's fucking dreadful. Um, There is a tribe in the jungle. So when you go into the bong, you kind of end up possibly in a jungle. I don't know if you always do, because someone else ends up with a wall that's made of tits. So there's lots of different things going on. But when you go to the jungle in the bong, you get to meet the Poontang tribe. The Poontang tribe! Which is just another load of women with their tits out. There's a very strange bit in the head shop 
where a customer comes in. This is not explained in any way. There's a couple of hoodlums in there who oh, are kind yeah. of they think are going to steal something, and then a man dressed as a clown with yes. a pig's nose yes. comes in and tries to sell them something called Ooga Booga, and they don't seem to want to buy Ooga Booga, and then nothing else is mentioned. <laughs> And that's it. There's no, no, nothing else. Also, at the beginning, the guy, the main guy's got this girlfriend that he's like smoochy smoochy with the whole time, and they keep referencing like all of the trauma that's brought them together. And then she disappears, and then he cops off with a girl in the in the bakery shop, and the other girlfriend never comes back. Yeah, that just happens. That was, I think, that was just so that they could have a sex. Yeah, just like just <laughs> continuing on. <laughs> Uh, there is one good thing in this film, one good bit that happens. I don't know, was there? Yeah, uh, totally. So it's all set in Venice Beach in Los Angeles. Yeah. And obviously, this is 2013. It's very important that it's 2013 for one simple reason. There is one scene where they. So there's a bakery, right? Yeah. Where the Ginger Dead Man woman from all the Ginger Dead Man films has yeah. set up a new bakery. And there's a head shop where the boy from the Evil Bong films has yeah. set up a head shop. And they're not far from each other in yeah. Venice Beach. And at one point, this old man really sensually eats a gingerbread man. Yeah. And for some reason, that makes the guy from the head shop really want to go to this bakery. Yeah. It's a very strange scene. It is very odd. Anyway, he walks from his bong shop to the bakery, and he has to walk along Venice Beach. And these shots are obviously stolen. You can tell that the cameraman is, like, hidden behind a bin. Yeah. And they've just got the guy to walk, and he's quickly stolen the (laughs) shot. But that's fine, because he walks past the Venice Beach freak show. Which isn't Yay, there anymore. That is true. So I went to the Venice Beach Freak Show just before it shut. I'm so glad that I did. I think it was the last summer that it was open. And it was it was like Coney Island in New yeah. York. It was just this thing that had been there for fucking years and years and years. And was a bona fide freak show. I yeah. think they might have made, when they were trying to save it, they made a reality TV show about it. Oh, they wow. made it a bit tacky. But they, he walks past it. And it's a beautiful thing. And I Aww. wish it was still there. Aww. So that's the best thing in this film that I saw a place that I the, went to once. Basically, in the background, a thing was there. <laughs> yeah. There is a quote. I can't quite remember what the end of this line is, but this is what we're talking about. Keeping in mind this was made in 2013, there is a line which starts with the words, To quote the Boys to Men song, <laughs> which must have been outdated so bad even in 2013, but it's that even worse now. That is very true. The sex scene that you mentioned a little bit earlier, yeah, for no reason at all. There's two people that really they're not really characters in the film. At no, all. they're just there to to do a sex scene. Do a sex scene, um, but it happens in the back room of the bakery. So they kind of the woman goes out, and so they're on their own, and they start kissing. Yeah, and I think you know they start taking their clothes off, and then he puts her down onto the, like the table so yeah. they can have sex on the table. But before he does, for some reason, he just stops and flowers the table. He says, yeah. "Hold on a second, puts loads of flour on the table, and then they have sex on it." Yeah. And again, there's no reason for no. that, no explanation for that. I think it's supposed to be a joke. I think it's meant to be funny, but it's really shit. Very stupid. Very weird. I think that is all I've got. Ginger Dead Man versus Evil Bong turned out to be. A really bad film. We've had some really bad luck with films recently. Um, I mean, I've written down one last quote that I think sums up this film. The last time was total butt vomit. (laughs) And I would say, the ginger dead man versus evil bong is total butt vomit. So can I just say, though, I don't know if this was deliberate or not, but he says that line in reference 
to some scenes from like Evil Bong Two. Oh, really? And I don't know. I don't think it could possibly be, but I think that might be an in joke. It might be like that film was, was a bad one shit. in the in the, the franchise. That was bad. <laughs> Fucking hell. I would also add that this film, in the spirit of having to explain itself by showing shitloads of scenes from the first two, then ends randomly. Like, oh, there's no storyline to there's it. There's no storyline ending. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't remember how it ends, but I remember thinking, "Cool, what's the next scene?" Oh, the credits are rolling. Well, what? no, I'll tell you how it ends. Basically, so the whole point is that they're going to end up in this evil bong. Yeah. eventually and they all end up in the evil bong and so you and that's where the pastry tribunal happens yeah and that whole thing is very confusing <laughs> the pastry tribunal. but you figure that at some point first of all you figure that at some point ginger dead man and evil bong are going to have a fight of some sort oh, yeah something might happen where oh, they're they actually need gonna... to use evil bong to defeat gingerbread man i think they side with bong yeah apparently. pretty much but they all end up in this evil bong where yeah. presumably in past films it's been difficult to get out of yeah but once they all end up in evil bong at that point, they've done so much telling of stories from the past bunch of films. Yeah. And so much nothing has happened. There's only like 10 minutes of the running time left. Yeah. So more or less what happens is they meet this man who's created a wall of boobs. Yeah. <laughs> when I describe this, this film starts to sound quite good. It anyway, does. It sounds they, so shit. Yeah, they meet this man who's created a wall of boobs and he basically says, if you don't want to be in the Who's evil the bomb, one that sensually ate the cookie you, earlier? Yeah. Yeah. If you don't want to be in the evil bong, all you've got to do is pretend that you do want to be there and then they'll toss you out. And so they all go, oh, right. And then they just sort of think for a second and then suddenly they're all safe. (laughs) And the ginger dead man is left in the evil bong. From what I can make out, the reason why there's then another five evil bong films is because then, from this point forth, the ginger dead man just becomes a character in the evil evil bong films. So, I mean, I don't ever want to watch Evil Bong 8. Fuck no. There is an Evil Bong 666. Of course, there's an Evil Bong 420. 420. I mean, they've all... Oh, God. It is awful. It is absolutely awful. I don't think we should talk about this film anymore. No. What score do you want to give it? I think we forgot to give a score to the film last time. I only noticed when I was editing. Oh. So, so I'm keen to get your... Uh, not that it makes any well, difference to anybody whatsoever. We've watched some films that IMDb have. have rated in the threes. Okay. And that I have rated higher than that. Yeah. This was a 3.6 and I honestly don't think I could give it higher than a one. Yeah, I it was truly fair. shit. I mean, I think the fact that there is this many sequels means that there is an audience for this, which blows my mind. But it definitely, I mean, there definitely is hell, an why? audience for this. There is loads of merchandise for the evil bong and... You can buy it all online, but at one point in the film, yeah, somebody comes and, and he tries to sell the merchandise with Evil Bong all over yeah. it. And I think that that is just what's available. So it's kind of like Jesus an advert in the middle Christ. of the film. And they looked really shit. <laughs> Jesus. I don't know. How about yourself? Uh, yeah, solid one. No, no, no doubt. I, I wouldn't recommend this to anybody whatsoever. I am slightly intrigued to see the one that's got Gary Bussey in it. I'd probably go and watch Ginger Dead well, Man one. Someone at else, some point. someone else has written a review. I just thought, you know what? What do other people think? Once again, the Ginger Dead Man without Gary Busey is terrible, and the Evil Bong's <laughs> limitations make for a very weak antagonist. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, people are very upset that Gary Busey's not in it, and apparently the other two were very good. I wonder I if Ga- I wonder if Gary Busey made Ginger Dead Man before or after he was shouted at by Meatloaf for stealing his pencils <laughs> in that reality TV show. God rest his soul. God oh rest my his God. soul. Well done, Meatloaf, for getting eggy. I'll meet you at the Pastry Tribunal. <laughs> right, I'm going to play an old song now. This is by a band called the Milwaukee's. 
Uh, I didn't say that right. I don't think the Milwaukee's. This came out in 2003. It's from their album, This Is A Stick Up. It came out on Boss Tunage Records, which is still going and was and is an amazing record label. And I fucking love this song. I've been meaning to play it on here for ages, but I think I said this a little while ago. I've got a bit confused by what I've played and what I haven't played. Yeah, um, dementia's so, real in. <laughs> so this is a song called Angel With A Knife by the Milwaukee's. Tonight I choked in my own way Started as innocent as that
Thank you for tuning in to episode 39 of Breakfast Plants Podcast. As always, please do follow us on Instagram at Breakfast Plants Podcast and uh, you can message us on there. You can keep up to date with whatever we're up to. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, which at the be, minute uh, no, is I'll, still going. No, I'll begrudgingly make another YouTube channel yeah. for this. Um, I think that what I'm stopped doing is putting these episodes on YouTube. Oh, okay. Because, you know. Four views was get, making me sad. It is getting a little bit sad. <laughs> but all of the other stuff that links to all the stuff we talked about is very worth your watch, so you should do that. Um, if you do want to email us with any feedback at all, at shamcityroasters at gmail.com is the way to do that. We would love and to we hear have from a, you. Yeah, and we have a Patreon. So again, if you'd like to support us financially in any way, that would be great. And if you support us with £3 or more, you get a free extra episode per month. And there are six episodes on there currently. Six There'll be a seventh soonish. Plus. There'll yeah. be a seventh probably before the next episode. Extra babble. If you want it, go get it. <laughs> As this is episode 39, though, mm-hmm. before we go, we have something very important to do. Mm-hmm. We need to welcome, we need to dust off and welcome back TimeBot 500. Yay. Hello. Oh. Hello, TimeBot. Hello, time How are you? Have you enjoyed this episode? Your magic doesn't work on me. I'm science. Well, you're, you're not much science. Are you that sex you. robot? Do you know her? <laughs> Glorified <laughs> flashlight. It's pretty much. I imagine he's probably got way less megabits than the flashlight. To be honest, in fairness, <laughs> a glorified flashlight. I love that as an insult. I'm going to use that from now on. Fuck you and your flesh. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you very, and your flesh. Very good point. Jesus Christ, wow. time box grumpy. Grumpy so, asshole. Uh, maybe because without... we're doing another fucking time cop episode. <laughs> yes. Gutted, as is everyone. <laughs> Well, well, this might be the last one we ever do. Who knows? But who knows? Uh, it is going to be episode 40, and so it, we enjoy doing them. Yeah. Uh, so before Time Cop starts... Berating us. Berating us, or possibly even turning into Skynet and killing us. Oh, God. Um, I think we should uh, pick a year. Oh, yeah. So well, we go, this is completely randomly... Generated. Uh, generated from Timebot 500's yeah. five or six micro uh, bits. <laughs> From his little bits. From his little bits. So, on our Time Cop episodes, if you haven't listened before, we pick a year from the last 60. 60 years. Uh, We pick a year and we do a deep dive and we look into news and culture and current affairs and music films. They're a lot of fun. Yeah, they're really well enjoyed by our viewership. Go back and listen to the ones if you haven't before. Some yeah. of them are quite good, I think. This we is one, did, of, this is one enjoy, of my funniest things to do. I, I was about to say, I really enjoy this because it's an excuse to go to years that you might not usually have any interest in, especially for us. We're very habits of the 80s and 90s. We don't often go back to the 70s and 60s. So we use this as a good opportunity to fiddle about. We've done one on the six, uh, 66. We've done yeah. one on 74. Yeah. The joys of 2003. That was depressing. That was shit. So <laughs> this time, what's it going to be? Let's hope it's the 80s or the 90s. Oh, God, fingers crossed. So, Timebot, fire up your systems. Oh, that's not entirely clear, but that was 1991. Thank goodness. That is a fucking corker of a year. That'll be a bang job year. Oh. Well, that's exciting. The next two weeks are going to be joyous for me. I feel like we did this to specifically look at years we don't enjoy, and now we've got a banger. (laughs) So, fuck you, 60s and 70s, 1991. It's going to be great. So, we will see you for that in two weeks' time. 
But before we do, we're going to play a song. This is by a band called Liquids, who I know are from Indiana, but I don't really know anything else about them. Okay. This is from their album, which is wonderfully titled 100% Shit. (laughs) It came out in 2020. I'm not going to lie. I forgot to get enough songs for this episode. Okay. So we're going back a couple of years to one that I just quite liked. I should probably say, if you do listen to this song all the way to the end, that really is the ending. And all of their songs seem to end in this way. (laughs) But, in keeping with some of the things that we've said today, this song is called, When You Were Born, You Should Have Died. (laughs) (laughs) So this is Liquids, (laughs) and we will see you in two weeks' time. Goodbye. Take it! On the winning team!